You're a lifesaver, Doctor. <sighs> if you make it through this wall, then come and thank me. But I would appreciate something. I would like you to send me the data on your next performance in battle. Sometimes it's best not knowing why people want you to survive. I suppose so. Well, Amaro, I have faith in you and your instincts with gun- Damn! Welcome back, everybody, to episode 15 of Gundam and MHQ. Um, in this episode, we're going to be covering, uh, we're going to be returning back to, to doing some reviews. This on season two of uh, Code Geass, The Lucha of the Rebellion, uh, episodes one through four. Uh, quick overviews, kind of our thoughts and takes on some of the uh, things that have happened in the highly anticipated season two there. And uh, we're going to only be doing two topics this episode, and the last topic is going to be the ongoing. Um, topic of uh, the Gundam Roundup, uh, which we are now covering uh, Gundam Double Zeta. So before we do anything, I'm going to get off with a little bit of news here. And I know that we've been talking about this for a while, that uh, the Double O, uh, Gundam Double O is being released in Blu-ray in, uh, in Japan. And uh, this would actually probably be good for somebody like Soulbro who likes all these little extras on there. But they're going to be having a... I do. Audio commentaries on uh, episode one on volume one of uh, the Blu-ray disc and on episode five on volume two. And basically it's going to be cast commentaries and some staff commentaries on there. So, and uh, there's going to be other, some other yet to be announced staff commentaries for some of the other ones. And from what, from what I take here, it's actually kind of a rare thing for Gundam releases, the audio commentaries. But I guess they had them for the first and final episode of uh, Gundam X in the memorial, uh, DVD memorial box. And I guess on one of the episodes of 08MF's team, they had one and two of uh, 0083. As well as the, uh, the U.S. release of F91. Yeah, uh, definitely check those out. Uh, hopefully, if this stuff ever gets over to the States with subtitles, uh, I'm sure they'll have that stuff on there also. So. Well, F91 could use some explaining, so I, I could see the necessity <laughs> of that. I'm glad they put it on. Uh, glad they put on double eighty three too, because that needed some explaining too. <laughs> but um, some more uh, double uh, kind of double O news. There's going to be a prequel drama CD that's been announced. Um, it's uh, going to be called Mission Twenty Three O Six: Mobile Suit Gundam Double O: Another Story, and it's going to be released uh, July twenty third. And basically, the story has been given as this: uh, Celestial Being, a private army organization that conducts memorial. Uh, military operations without without regard to race, country, or religion to world the world of strife. A new mission is given to Gundam Meister from Celestial Being, Satsuna FC, to prevent the assassination of Barry Harvley, the leader of the Fossil Fuel Export Regulation Watchdog Group. Nice. As part of the mission, he's responsible for guard and surveillance to ensure no harm comes to Harvley's beloved daughter, Louise, from the terrorist organizations. Uh, th but they're but there are people in high school with one or two peculiarities beyond Satsuna's imagining, a love triangle possibly, a perverted teacher. Can Satsuna safely guard the important individual while dealing with these? So Right on. Yeah. Enter all of the even more of the Fulminal Panic comparisons. Yeah. Oh, no. And I guess some of the people that are going to be, the cast that's going to be in this drama CD is going to include 
like I said, Setsuna, Lock On will make a thing. Right on. Hallelujah and Hallelujah will show up. Uh, Tiaria, uh, Sumeragi will be in there, plus uh, Graham Aker, Billy Katagiri, uh, oh, Solbro, Saji Cockroach, I mean, Saji Crossroad, oh. and uh, Luis uh, Harvley. So, what about <laughs> Howard Mason? Oh, man, tell me he made it. <laughs> uh, I think that they, they said they don't have all the information here, so maybe he'll show up later on or, or maybe in, uh, in a future uh, mission. Backed by popular demands. Yes. So, <laughs> and. There's just kind of a side edit note here that it's possible that this story is more of a parody than a straight prequel. So oh some of this stuff just kind of take uh, take with a grain of salt, I guess, till we get more information. Um, and I, I guess there's some commentary on some posters uh, that the Japanese don't know what's going on either. So uh, they're kind of in the dark of the same. So, but next news item. This is something I think is going to put some uh, a smile to a few people's faces. Oh. Uh, it's been reported on. ANN and anime anime on DVD that Bandai Visual is to be liquidated and its assets to be transferred to Bandai Entertainment. Oh no. So (laughs) 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 is that only for the US branch or is that for um the US branch? Yeah, it's the US branch. So I get there's no information on when this is gonna begin or or how this is gonna affect any timetables or releases or anything like that. But it's uh, gonna begin in uh starting in July, they said. Okay. And then by September it'll be fully liquidated and merged. Wow, Wings Arian will be affordable. Yeah. Well we don't we don't know anything about well I'm just I would hope that Bandai entertaining prices and just keeps continuing to release these titles because definitely I I would like to have reasonably priced Blu rays of MS Igloo and uh Mm -hmm. I would like to get yeah even though so many people hate it, I would love to have Super Robot Wars TV show in maybe less than nine volumes and not costing 50 bucks each so <laughs> a little, uh, little, little little fire sale would be nice because uh, I, I didn't waste my money on that like some people did uh, Peter oh Pete <laughs> oh, I'm sorry Petey <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll definitely have more information as we get it and uh, yeah like Chris said definitely check out things and um, you know uh, see if there's I'm sure there's going to be a run on some of the Bandai visual merchandise later on but in a couple of months here by the way I, I don't mean to you know kick a person or a company when they're down but in the case of Bandai visual I kind of make an exception because they just did everything so wrong and yeah you know whatever it is that led to this decision to you know incorporate them into Bandai entertainment they brought it on to themselves that they did for entering the American market having no idea what it is that American fans want, and then stubbornly insisting on charging Japanese prices for products and just not doing things the right way that the rest of the industry does. So, you know, Not even making an attempt to localize any products they're putting yeah. out. Yeah. It's just another example of a Japanese company thinking that they can do business in America the Japanese way and not realizing that this is not Japan and you have to adapt your business for every market in the world. I mean, anybody in any business class will tell it's you that. The first, yeah. It's the first one. But obviously, obviously, these companies like Bandai and Toei and everybody else, they didn't learn that lesson yet. Maybe this time they will. So. Well, it's uh, definitely, definitely a lot of changes going on in the DVD industry, so... I'm sure we'll have more news uh, as we get it on that. But um, I guess uh, for all the model fans out there, there's going to be some new uh, Seed Master grades coming in the fall. Ooh. <laughs> Tell me more. There was an announcement at the end of the Phase Impulse MG Edition video that says a new Gundam Seed MG kit will be coming in the fall. Though the actual MS name isn't given, the background color scheme of the announcement strongly suggests that one of Atherin's mobile suits with the <laughs> Forerunner 
on the Japanese boards being the infinite justice. So. Oh, I thought it was going to be the savior. Oh, Man. I wish. I, actually, I wouldn't. I would like the Aegis. Not bad. Because it was transforming. I like. I, I kind of like. Yeah, but so was the savior. Yeah. Yeah, that's all it did. That's all he did in that thing. Hey, just because he sucked at using it didn't mean it was an awesome mobile suit. Because it was. Oh, I know it's awesome. It no, it was dope. an awesome mobile suit. That transformation. He's just Mr. Transformation Spammer. Oh, he was Mr. Transformation Spammer. <laughs> that spin. Oh. That was awesome. Anyway, and it's got to be one. It's got to be one of the few ones that actually kind of like survive, but they never retrofitted it to be used again. Just I mean, it was. It, you know, I, I don't think they. I think they didn't fix it not because Kira sliced it up and just left a, a, a torso, <laughs> but because Athern just probably screwed up the gears from pressing the transformation button so much. Nice. Oh, he gr he ground them too much. Killed the transmission. Yeah. He just they did, yeah he just he just totally ground those those gears to, <laughs> to to pieces by pressing that transformation so much. So anyway, we'll we'll definitely we'll definitely give you keep you abreast of that. Um, you know, for all you model fans, definitely check out your favorite sites um, to see what that might be and. Uh, in some some game news, as we always pander a lot of these Gundam <laughs> games, um, the Gundam Battle Universe. If you go to their site, they put up some screenshots. I haven't had a chance to actually take a look at it yet, but um, uh, definitely, if you're interested in the game, definitely check take a look there. Um, and uh, I guess uh, uh, the first uh, MS Igloo Two promo video is up, and it's in two versions: the regular and UC Hard Graph. Uh, the difference is pretty much limited to overlaying text. So I guess the uh, the official MS Igloo 2 site also has a dub downloadable two-sided flyer. I don't know what you would use that for, just to download. For kicks? I, I don't know. So, but uh, Hey, these one-year war fans, you don't know what they do. <laughs> but, but, but definitely check that out if you're uh, wanting some information on Igloo. Once again, this stuff will all be in Japanese, but I guess you could try to figure it out. Or if you know it, you could read it. But there's always Rosetta Stone. Yes. <laughs> but um, in, in just a couple couple other newest items here, uh, I guess since this is an Olympic year, uh, there is a four meter tall Gundam statue being used to display a good luck message to Olympic gold medalist Mizuki Nagochi. I guess he's a marathoner for uh, for Japan. And so apparently a Gundam fan. Hopefully. Well. <laughs> So uh, that, I thought that was kind of interesting, kind of one of those WTF type of articles here. And I, this is actually for Chris. Um, I actually, uh, if, if you go to uh, Gonoda, where all these news stories are usually courtesy of, uh, they have a link to what the Double O Volume 6 DVD cover is going to look like. And it's got uh, it's got Chris's favorite character from Double O. Who? Who? Who would that be, Chris? I don't know. You tell me. Uh, it's your it's your boy Alejandro and ribbons. Oh. Alejandro looking all creepy, looking back to a ribbons, just kind of, kind of looking off. So. Put that cover in the frame. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that hopefully this cover makes the American release. Oh, Jesus. See, if you told me the cover was, uh, say, hey. Sumeragi, then uh, Sumeragi and Felt at the beach. Oh, yeah. And Christina, too, just for the hell of it. Right on, yeah. man. Yeah, exactly. And, and Wang, just for, for, yeah. for kicks. Because <laughs> her name is funny. Her name is Wang. But... Uh, <laughs> but uh last little art last little thing here and anybody that has the opportunity to go to anime expo this year not me uh they announced the get the guest of honor is gonna be tosahiko sakai who played uh who's the voice actor for duel maxwell in gundam wing oh, he was no. also rolla crusade in gundam c and a big stretch here right zabriel and gundam c destiny nice so, 
uh, anybody going to that con this year, definitely check it out. Uh, I guess, um, you know, if there's any information that you need or the date that this person's going to be there, definitely go to the Anime Expo website. So, and like, like I said earlier, all these, uh, all these stories are courtesy of the f fine folks at Ganoda or Ganada. And uh, um, myself, uh, Neo, Chris, and Solbro will be back in a little bit to cover. Oh, but wait, oh. there's there's one more bit of news that uh, you, you don't have. Oh, oh. Some break so breaking news, breaking news. Oh, breaking news. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We just... <laughs> breaking news, breaking news. Okay. Uh, Hot off the presses. We, we just got story. this in from the, from the South Florida office of Gundam. There's some <laughs> breaking news. Here's our roving reporter, Chris. Okay, so uh, we all know that Double O got licensed, and that uh, Bandai was sort of talking uh, vaguely about there being a, a possible TV deal, mm -hmm. which they're saying is still something they're working on, but they can't say anything yet. However, you know, there was the accidental leak and now confirmation that uh, Gurren Lagann is going to be showing up on the Sci-Fi Channel, so uh, <gasps> wow. I think that uh, pigs are officially flying now. Oh, nice. Wow. And, uh, you know... Maybe finally uh, Bandai's given the will give the middle finger to Adult Swim and uh, start putting some stuff on Sci-Fi. So uh, yeah, you know who knows uh, we could see Double O on on the Sci-Fi Channel. I hope so. Which I think would probably make a lot more sense at this point. It'd make a whole lot more sense. Um, I, I I don't know how their anime stuff on Monday does. Sure, I I'll mean, watch with Gura Logan on. Yeah, I mean I I watch a lot of it, but you know a lot of a lot of times it is the Street Fighter Alpha <laughs> series, so I can't really watch. Hey, they're showing Macross Plus now, so hey, they they show Macross Plus like a thousand times. So. I know they I, I know they show Macross they Plus. Got some credit now, but. No, that'll be cool because that that'll kind of bring back the the old days of sci-fi also. Yeah. So I, I think I think at this point with um, with uh, Adult Swim that might be might be a good thing to do because if you can show that they're not the only game in town, they may start kind of taking their the anime uh, shows a lot more seriously. Especially, I don't know if they can survive with all those substandard comedy shows too yeah. much longer. Well, on top of that, it, it, Sci-Fi treats it differently too, and they probably have a lot more respect for the for the art form than Adult Swim has. Sci-Fi's got so. deeper pockets too. Yeah, They're, um, it's, uh, it's NBC. Uh, yeah, you're right. you're right. So, well, I did not know that. That's uh, we will definitely be holding our breaths on that. Hopefully, that uh, that'll happen. It'd be nice to see Double O uh, on. Um, on, uh, on on television so but that's it and that is that is all for my for my news so. all right well along news. with myself neo chris and and Solbro, we're going to be uh doing episode 15 here and we'll be back in a little bit you're listening to gundam at mh the gundam robots John! Hey, this is Soul Bro Ryu, and I know what you're thinking. What the hell happened to 14? If we're listening to episode 15, did we miss 14? You did miss 14. The only one missed it is me. Um, I made a grave mistake when um, transferring some files, and some segments of 14 were pretty much destroyed. Um, I went ahead, though, and took the surviving segment, which is the Zeta Gunup segment, and moved it to the first segment, which is coming up next. And for the remainder of this explanation, please stay tuned to after the end of the podcast, right after the Shinjuku Station and MAHQ sound off, and I'll get into more about what happened and what we, how we plan to make it up. I, 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 I deeply, 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 deeply apologize for this, and it seems like no matter how much we try, the 00 segment will never come into fruition. And what's 
funny is this time it's 100% my fault no one else's so um, if you need to cast any stones please hit me up on the MAHQ boards or please email me at sbrmahq at gmail.com and send the, send the hate send the hate please please I deserve it and um, getting back on track here's the next segment Welcome back to the show that exhibits more proof than Jack Daniels. That's right, Gundam at MAHQ. And in this... <laughs> you should see Neo. He's, just, he's covering the mic. <laughs> but in this segment, we're going to be doing more of our review of all the Gundam series. Gundam Spotlight. Our, our Gundam Spotlight, our rundown of every Gundam series. In this segment, we're going to be talking about the second Gundam series to be produced, and that would be Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam. It premiered in 1985, which is well over 20 years ago, and still watching it today, it still stands true to the test of time. Uh, some of the uh, some of the look of this. What about the tears of time? The te- oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the tears of time. Freaking that was nice. Say that every episode. <laughs> For those that haven't seen the show, at the end of every episode, there's like this little tagline. What's it? Fully, you will see the tears, tears of time. time. You will yeah. see the tears of time. It's like that kills me every time. I'm gonna use that at the end of the show one time. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, but the show still stands, you know, holds up after even after all these years, and even more so in the um in the remakes that were made just a few years ago as well. Kind of a a retread, our new translation as this tagline of the three Zeta movies that came out just a few years ago in theaters in Japan. Um, directed by Yoshiyuki Tomino, of course. It still looks great, and it's, it, to me, it's more of a perfected version of Mobile Suit Gundam, the original series, because it got to run its full course, and we got a full insight on new types and the phenomenon behind them, and some a lot more characters were realized during the, the, the run of that series. And um, this is our thoughts and our um, opinions on this series and, of course, the three movies that have just come out recently. Chris, what do you, what is your take on Zeta Gundam? Well, obviously, as it's it's known to anyone and everyone, Zeta Gundam is my favorite Gundam TV show yeah. of all time. Mm-hmm. And um, it was one of the earliest ones that I saw, so that may be in part uh, due to that. But I had seen it pretty soon after seeing the Gundam trilogy, and... There's a lot of things I like about it that it does well. There's some things I don't. One thing that it does do well is uh, managing two casts. And I'm looking at you, Destiny. <laughs> because you managed to have, with Zeta, you know, the old cast from the original Gundam mixing very well with the new cast of Zeta. But it was always clear at any given time that the show was about Camille Bidon and not about Amuro Ray or Shah Aznable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was never any doubt about that as it is with Destiny where after a while you wonder what the hell is going on. And what I liked about the way they brought back the original cast is you saw how the how they developed over the course of seven years. You saw Bright and Mirai, you know, settle down and start a family. You saw Hayato and uh, Frau settle down and have a family. You saw that Kai, who never wanted to be a soldier to begin with, got out of the military and became a journalist. You saw Sela doing whatever it is that she was doing on vacation. And, <laughs> you know, most importantly, you saw that Amaro, for all of his 
courage and all of his amazing accomplishments in the One Year War was rewarded with suspicion and fear and basically was locked up for seven years. Yeah, good old house arrest. Yeah, so, you know, it was nice to see the development of all of these characters move along and some of them settling into familiar roles like Bright as captain of the Argama. You know, uh, Hayato and then, you know, now as a resistance leader, uh, Kai as a journalist, you know, Mirai going from being the mother of white base to uh, actual mother trying to protect her children. Fraubo, Fraubo becoming an expected mother and also the mother of uh, the three orphans from the white base as well. Yeah. And um, another thing that works well in this respect is the way they took Char and worked with his character because obviously he was you know, one of the major characters from the original series, but the entire focus wasn't on him in the original series. So shifting more focus to him in Zeta was good because you got to see more about him. Mm -hmm. Plus see him in a different light as situations change. You know, he was once the antagonist, but now he's one of the protagonists. And he's just kind of, um, he's instead of trying to control his destiny and, and, and being an aggressive character, he's kind of, laid back and subdued and just haunted that's the thing about Quattro that gets me is that he's a very haunted character you know because of the events that happened in the one-year war and uh, even the unseen events that we don't know about like um the shards deleted affair you know the, the 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 whole the whole thing with him and Haman and the things we don't know about at the beginning of Zeta but you know he's just a very torn guy and yeah it, it's nice to see him coming you know come back into the spotlight and come you know find his purpose in this series too which i thought was another excellent reason to watch the show and he's sort of uh, an unlikely mentor to camille and yeah. finds himself being an even more unlikely ally with amaro and the mentoring part's pretty cool because he's actually not really mentoring him he starts off by mentoring him as as a as a pilot but then you can see towards the show that he's doing it to uh help um uh, Camille not make the same mistakes that he did in his past. Very much so. So, especially when it comes to Camille and Four, and um, you know when he realizes the connection between the two of them, and 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 realizes it's going to head down the same tragic path. You know, he wants to put a stop to it himself, and you know, kind of do Camille a favor by doing the hard thing, which would be to take her out. Because and even even Amaro, even Amaro saw that connection too in Hong Kong when when Camille first met Four too. Yet, unfortunately. Uh, the same thing happens, and it ends up going even worse for Camille since, uh, yeah. you know, as we see in the TV show, after Four's death, he sort of starts to go on a downward spiral yeah. Yeah. and starts to become more, uh, much more of a pessimist, which is something even Bright mentions to him. He's like, well, when did you become such a pessimist? You know, like in the, the 40s. Uh, another thing I thought it did well was manage character development with action, because back in these days in these robot shows you had battles every single episode that's just the way it was because these things were toy commercials but Zeta I think managed to mix well you know the battles even if they were brief with character development in the same episode which hasn't been done so well in some later series another thing it's it's more it's a bit more epic than the original series in certain parts because you get a wider sense of the scale and you have a greater focus on politics than in the original series, mm -hmm. which was there because you had all of the scheming of uh, the Zabi family, but even that was kind of in the background compared to, you know, yeah. Amaro fighting the Monster of the Week, which is another thing. You know, in MSG, you had a lot of Monsters of the Week with some Xeon guy like, oh, with this new mobile suit slash mobile armor, I will surely take down the Gundam. <laughs> or all of the tiresome, tiresome Gatai sequences with that disgusting G-Fighter. Yeah. You know? Oh, shoot. And, you know, all of these nameless pilots coming in waves. Some people argue that Zeta is also Monster of the Week, but 
It really isn't because, yeah, Jared goes through a ton of mobile suits, but yeah. it's always Jared. It's not like, yeah, exactly. you know, Johnny and Joey and, you know, whoever, like, you know, random pilot X who shows up for five minutes and dies, like that guy in the Zaccarello. Dies. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so. But even on top of that, you sometimes have other antagonists that are kind of lower tier that show up multiple times, like um, Mila, Lila, uh, Mila. Uh, you, you see her, like, at least twice. And she is an antagonist for, like, two episodes before, you know, her end. And, you know, they don't really, like, it, it's, she's in the same mech and everything. And she's, um, She's an aggressor for you know a short period. You get these characters that are not so much a monster of the week, but a monster of an arc. And you know you got that you know they confront them and you know fight them and take them out. Four was one of them, and you know it just it kind of broke up the formula into um, turning you know what was the norm into more of a well thought out you know piece of story and 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 and, and fleshing it out and fleshing out the characters and giving us more conflict. And I think. Like I said, Zeta took what Mobile Gundam had and, and, and perfected it. It really did. That being said, there also are some things about this show. Great. Uh, number one, cats. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Not only was he an annoying whiner, but um, after a while you say to yourself, damn, isn't somebody going to put a freaking like, lock on the G-Defensor? Yeah. <laughs> It's like every damn week this guy's stealing it. Like, he just, like, he just walks to me. He's like, yeah, um, I've got orders for a mission and they're like okay and then he starts launching and, and Bright's like why the hell is the G-Defensor launching <laughs> like oh but Kat said he had special orders didn't he uh no, no. I'm the captain <laughs> and you believe that <laughs> and even when they try to stop him he always manages to steal the damn thing and go do his stupid interference jeez uh. I was like I swear, when he stole the um, the Mark II in San Francisco, oh, God. I was hoping he'd get the beatdown of his life. He should have. Well, you know what's funny is the thing with cats <laughs> yeah. is that, you know, Camille was kind of like that in the beginning, like very impulsive and kind of reckless. But he learned his lessons and he mm -hmm. grew up and sort of was a mentor for Katz himself. Yeah. But throughout the entire series, Katz never learned that he lesson. He never learned it. He thought he was invincible. He was just an arrogant, reckless little dumbass and then when the end came for him it wasn't even ceremonious it was like it was matter of fact <laughs> it was well, the, it's, the thing that I, I don't recall where i read this but somebody said that um you know when cots died that he he forgot that he wasn't the main character oh that's that's appropriate yeah. well the, the problem that i had is they always seemed like they were tougher on camille when he was doing those stupid little things yeah. than they were with cots it seemed oh well he's just cots cots is cots it's no big deal it's we, like you know Br bright's beating up dudes on the bridge and stuff mm -hmm. and but he would never do anything to cots um, yeah with cots or you know, even wong you never you never saw you know cats get his ass kicked by set him on the right path because it did for camille yeah yeah. Or put him under uh, house arrest or something. They what? never even locked him in his room. Well, you know what, though? They, they did once. Yeah, Kotz yeah. was put in the brig. Yeah, I remember that. And they told him to sit in the Seiza position for punishment. Oh, that's that's right. When yeah. he the thing was Sarah. Yeah, exactly. But the thing about Kotz, though, com compared to Camille, is that Camille did have moments where he just would just, you know, become a whiny bastard. And hey. Kotz was always a go-getter. You know, he was always willing to go out there and do the job. Even I stupid, don't know, you know about that. Camille had reason to complain about things you know he had both of his parents killed in front of him yeah, yeah. he did you know the the you know the titans have been messing with him very true all this stuff very happens true. Kotz, you know he has 
he has his family, his adopted family. You know, he's got everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, his he's a crappy pilot. Yeah, right. And he just completely acts on impulse, and he just doesn't understand things. It becomes especially apparent when they start courting Haman for an alliance, and he's like, I can't work with the Zeon. And he just keeps, he's like, I won't help fight this yeah, true. with the Zeon. And he just does not get the big picture, and he just is too stupid to understand that, yes, the Zeon were the villains, but, you know, in politics and in war, you have to sometimes make a deal with the devil to get done what you want to do. That's true, but yeah, if you no, look I, at it, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't keep up with the thing, too, where they just... Always kept giving him equal voice on things. Yeah, <laughs> and because his interference got people killed, yeah. it screwed up. Um, it screwed up missions and everything. And I, my roommate will say the funniest thing is there's a part in there where they're on the bridge and they want to dispatch some mobile suits, and um, Bright finally just goes, "All right, put cots in there." They're like, and I think um, I think it's. Uh, Sir or one of those guys is like Torres. Torres, and he's like, "Oh, don't you mean Fah?" He's like, "No, I mean Cots." And my ro- and my roommate says to it, he goes, "I swear to God, they, uh, Bright was trying to get him killed at that point. <laughs> he he wanted him to go out there because he would have got killed." But oh, he was such an insufferable character that he I, I'm I'm in total agreement with you, Chris. Of he is one of the most glaring negatives in that show. To, oh. Yeah. Oh. But there are some more, to a lesser degree. Um, Shinta and Kum. Yeah. Oh. Most annoying kid mascots ever. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't even know why they were brought into this show. Why did Char bring these two little, like, homeless kids from, from Dakar yeah. up to a battleship? Because yeah. I guess the Argama was missing. Um, the Argama was missing their, their orphans. You know, because you know that's the. Rec- I guess Haro needed. I guess Haro needed someone to play with. Hey man, the white base had the white base had some orphans, and I guess they had to continue the tradition. It's but, uh, sp- yeah, but these these were annoying. The white base orphans, they were funny. Yeah. And and endearing. These two are just stupid. Ironically, yeah. Kat's being one of the white base orphans for those who. I know. And the white base orphans actually helped out a lot of times. I don't really remember. Shinton and Coom doing too much to like help out. They never did. They were just nuisances. What about Double Zeta when they, you know, the mm. hey, that's because everybody's dead or brain yeah. fried. Yeah, so, so what else? yeah, true. There's not really much of a choice. But, <laughs> yeah. At least they thankfully left the show at that point. Yeah. Um, another thing doesn't not so much a negative for me, but just something I wish had been done a little bit differently is the very long-term absences of some characters. Yeah. Like, Basque disappears for, like, 30-something episodes. Jesus. Rosamia <laughs> disappears for, like, 30-something episodes. Oh, over half the show. Gone. <laughs> yeah, it's like you have no idea what's what's up with them. Like, Basque, I think he the last time he had been shown was episode 13, Goodness. right, when they were in that Earth arc, and then he doesn't come back until, like, episode 39. Yeah. But what the hell's he been up to all this time? So, that's something. Uh, Rosamia would have been nice to see her again at some point in the middle of the show. It would have been nice to see less of a Jamaican. <laughs> well, he, he got what he deserved. Oh, he sure yeah. did. Uh, and that was that was awesome, too. It's payback for when they beat down Bright. That's that's inexcusable. So that's those are the things that I didn't like about, about Zeta. Just a few annoying characters and some being gone very long term. What, what about you guys? Likes and dislikes on the TV well, show? Well, my like is is the um, just the whole sense of despair within the whole show. Um, and I always kind of put my myself in the place of like the Japanese person in 1985 when they watched this mm-hmm. because it must have been groundbreaking for a, a character like Char to become the good guy 
And because, like you said, back in those days with the robot shows, there was always such a clear division between good and evil. And, you know, you, you never really had the, you, you would have the switches in some of those super robot shows, but usually the guy would end up sacrificing himself or whatever. Yeah. But, um, I mean, just for that and, and the fact of that he is flat out Char and you can tell it from the beginning that he is, but he's, there's something different about him. Um, the, the battles were great. Um, the, the whole flow of the show, the whole flow of, uh, you know, good versus evil. And then, like you said, the gray area, I think it explored the gray area as, as much as it's a, a black and white show, the exploration of the gray area when it comes to alliances and whatever, uh, is, is, is shown a lot, especially, uh, like you were saying earlier, Chris, about, um, the AU's involvement with the, uh, the Xeon and, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I, in, in some senses, the show is black and white because the Titans oh, yeah. are very clearly evil, yeah. but there's also some people, the Titans who evil and you see that, um, you know, both sides are getting their hands dirty, uh, you know, trying to get the alliance and the influence of, uh, yeah. the Axis Xeon. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, that, that's the great point. Um, I, I love you know, spoiler alert for everybody, but I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've already seen the show, but the, the way of the ending the, on the show, uh, you know, he, he won, but he really didn't won. It was unforgiving. So yeah, it was a pirate victory. Yeah, pretty much. My biggest dislike is I agree wholeheartedly with the thing of cots. Um, best episode ever is when he died. (laughs) Um, and he should have actually died earlier when, uh, Sirocco almost killed him, uh, when Sarah got killed. Touching, he should have killed him at that point. Since you brought up cuts and um, you brought up the whole fact that he just wasn't with teaming up with the Xeon, um, I got to give Kotz some credit. No, you can't. Well, no, for one thing, and that's because he was orphaned by the Xeon. And if you think about all those soldiers that were in, like, say, World War II, who to this day still can't forgive the, the enemies they fought against to this day. And we, you know, it, this has been mad years, but they fought in that war. So that war is personal to them. It's a, it's a different situation it's though. Still, yeah. But he's a hypocrite then because, uh, yeah. he has no problem fighting alongside with Shar and Shar was a Zeon soldier. Uh, exactly. Bright and Henkin were Federation soldiers and they fought against the Zeon. He didn't have, they didn't have any problem. Yeah. Uh, Appley and Roberto, they were Zeon soldiers. Mm-hmm. So that's true. You know, if it's Zeon that he knows, that's okay. Yeah. But if it's other, you know, if it's not, then he's then he's against it. So yeah. That that makes it's it's a hypocrite. Definitely. Yeah, that does make him seem hypocritical, though. Then very true. Very true. So I mean, I guess I guess I can't play devil's advocate and 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 and, and there, hopes there's of, there's of, nothing. Of he's not your he's not your man, Cal. Yeah. Oh, no. Stuff. No. <laughs> but um. Uh, my other business, and and the and the whole thing of uh, disappearing characters, but I'll actually put that uh, one further. My biggest thing is I think there were a lot of minor and supporting characters that were not explored enough or killed off too early. And my two examples is first, um, uh, Lila. Mm-hmm. I think Lila should have been in there a lot, a lot longer, longer than what she was. Most definitely. Um, I think because that whole that whole dynamic between her and Jared was actually very interesting. And then you put in uh, what's her face Mauer uh, later on right before. But my other thing is in the episode about the speech of the car, yeah. when you're having the fight, when um, Camille and them are fighting the Titans outside of the uh, assembly hall. Yep. And there's that guy that's the Ashimar pilot. 
and he's he's kind of saying oh well maybe we should listen to this the guy that jared uh ended up killing mm-hmm. i think th- yeah Addis Azeba. yeah yeah i think it would have been great instead of having him killed that he like had kind of that change kind of the emma change you know because he, he reminded me of like the male version of emma sheen when it came to who their loyalties were for an open-minded Titan and bring him on and bring him and, you know, have him, Oh wow. This guy actually defected. And you know, yeah, that might've been interesting. I was thinking that too. Um, Especially as a replacement for, you know, minor pilots, because at that point there was no Roberto and, um, you know, Opoly gets it a few episodes later, I believe. So yeah. speaking of disappearing characters, one that I forgot to mention because he disappears at the very end of the show, uh, Gates Kappa. You know, he's there for a few episodes, you know, doing yeah. this whole experiment <laughs> with Rosamia and Basque, and then suddenly he just disappears. Yeah. And you never see what happens to yeah, him. Yeah, he was, he was, he's been gone since um you know, since that point, and then he shows up again with Rosamia, I guess, yeah, along with Rosamia. Well, no, he, he only appeared in that later arc with Rosamia for those last few episodes, but then during that battle, yeah. during that yeah, yeah. battle. Yeah, for the last few, but, I mean, in between, he's gone. You know, when Camille took out yeah. uh, Rosamia, after that it's like I mean, he, Gates Kappa just vanishes. Yeah. Very true. But um, you don't know whether he lived or died. It's like they forgot about him. Yeah, but other than that, it's it's a pretty solid show. I mean, it it is one. It is my favorite UC show. Um, it's 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 kind of in a tie there when it comes to my favorite Gundam of all time. Uh, but I mean, it's definitely a great show for for even the minor little dislikes that we have, the the ability and the the storytelling in it was so strong that it you don't really think of it too too much, especially when you're. You know, it's not one of those things when you're watching the show, you're like kind of sticks in your mind, except for Cots. That's the only problem. <laughs> but anything else, Sobro? Well, uh, I'll, 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 I'll try to make this short, but um, I um, I guess I'll start with my dislikes. I didn't like how um, just like you brought up, uh, you guys brought up the the Titans were just a bit too, uh, they were a bit too two dimensional. Um, they're just a bit too power hungry. I figured they'd have some kind of grand scheme, but all they wanted to do was just conquer and just, you know, might makes right. And, you know, that's pretty much all their, that's all their philosophy was. Um, that said, uh, what else I didn't like? I didn't like the disappearing characters and, um, I didn't like that. Uh, actually those are probably my, my minor dislikes. Um, what, what a, the, the best thing I like about the show is just the, um, the, just the dynamic of the of the characters together uh, uh the interactions the conversations um the the development of um Camille was i think excellent i mean he just became more he became the more and more proficient he became the more and more disenchanted he became of the, with the war and you know everything that was going on around him and before you know it you know it got to the point where you, you know he still cared but at the you know he got to the point where he was starting to lose his mind and you could see that and um, you know, you can see that you know towards the end of the show where this everything was just getting to him, and I I just I I like the 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 feeling of melancholy in that show. Although Tamino kind of you know he he uh died. Oh, what's what's the, what's the word? He uh he kind of regrets making the show so dark. I think that's one of the show's strongest you know strong one of the show's strengths, and um I I think uh it's it's fantastic. But my favorite scene in the entire show. Which I regret um, bringing up the movies for a minute. I regret that um, he had to cut it out. Was uh, the speech of Dakar and the whole, the whole, yeah. the whole scenario of Dakar? I thought was my, by far my favorite, my favorite scene in the whole series, because you know Shar finally stepped into the spotlight as Shar, as opposed to hiding behind Quattro Bagina. 
and I, I I think the speech and the scene and and how everybody rallied together to make it happen was an excellent scene. And him and Amaro at the end sharing the drink was you know that's just a perfect way to cap that 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 episode off at the end. And I, I thought it was magnificent. And, and plus their interactions in the series and how they dealt with Lala's death even after all this time. Amaro's reason as to why he didn't go back out into space is because he's afraid of actually, you know, coming in contact with her. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons I kept him under house arrest. He could have left at any time, just like he finally did after Cots convinced him. But, you know, just fear of actually coming in contact with Lala again was one of those reasons, and I, I, I thought that was pretty cool. But, um... Mm-hmm. Speaking of speaking of the movies, um, might as well mention those. I know you guys had talked about them way back in episode two before even I joined the crew, but uh, anything new to add? You guys maybe see the movies again since then? Have any new thoughts? No, pretty much the same. I, um, you know, uh, like I said earlier in the in the earlier episode is um, uh, the, the movies were great um, up until that end. Uh, I mean, the, the, the most glaring the two most glaring things in that in the movie trilogy was uh, the, the omission of the speech of Dakar, and um, the way that you know Camille uh, defeats Scirocco at the end, and he doesn't you know he doesn't get the brain fry. So, uh, other than that, um, the looked great. Uh, some of the re revamping of the order of events worked out and flowed a lot better. Yeah. Um, you know there was definitely quite a few things in there. Um, you know, but other than that, it's still pretty unchanged. I, I still haven't seen him in a while, and I, I do want to go back and and relook at him since we've we've third time's the charm. Now done two reviews on him since, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, but yeah, no, pretty much um, pretty much holds true. I mean, they're definite must watches, but I will warn everybody: don't watch those first before the series because that I don't even know how that would screw you up because uh, <laughs> probably a lot yeah because th- that could pro- possibly turn you off uh you know to the to that series so yeah. they're not meant as a, uh, I, I can't I can't condone them as a substitute for the show for the show at all me neither it's kind of an ident- it's an alternative view of the show yeah and um but that that the last five minutes of that that movie although I do like the alternate outcome of what happens to Camille and how he rides out that whole new type brain fry thing, you know, how he just overcomes it and just to see how triumphant he is and his little romantic hug with Fa at the end. You mean his space humping? Yeah, the space humping. <laughs> but um, I just, I, um, I kind of thought it cheapened everything that he went through. And, mm-hmm. you know, I thought, I thought the kind of the more dramatic ending of him, um, the, the, like I said, the pirate ending was, uh, just probably a bit more fitting for the tone of the series, and um, especially with that whole buildup with the with the with the big speech on the um, in the stage in the amphitheater, yeah. right beforehand. Oh, that's another great scene, by the way, for those that don't know. But let me let me stop talking because I'll, I'll go on for another thirty minutes. <laughs> but yeah, the, the movies are fine. Uh, it's just I would not I, w- I it, outside of the the nice reanimated scenes and and the alternative take. This show is still superior in every way. Yeah, definitely. I, and I recently watched the entire TV show again and then followed it up by watching the movies. And, you know, some of the changes, like the way they changed some stuff in the first movie, it flows pretty well. Yeah. Um, the second movie, unfortunately, suffered from that same syndrome as movie two of the original mm-hmm. Gundam trilogy that the editing is kind of choppy and everything starts moving a little too fast. Yeah. And the transitions are a little rough. They're making changes that some of them it's like I don't even know why they made them like for example how they made uh, Stephanie from Hong Kong Wong's daughter yeah yeah. it's like what did, what did you need to do that for why couldn't she have just yeah. been the same like a helper 
who sympathizes with the AU. Why do you have to go yeah. and make her Wong's daughter? That makes no sense. That makes um, no sense at all. I didn't like four being killed Mm-mm. so early on. Neither yeah, did I. Her. Because that's an you know her later reappearance is an important thing with uh, with Camille. And his development. Overall, I didn't like the way that they punked Jared by cutting him down to being basically not much more than a grunt with a name. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's true. true. Even at the end, when they when he gets killed by Camille, you know they have this great exchange in the TV show where they're fighting and. Uh, you know, Jared's just like, I'm not around and killed as many people as you have. And, you know, I am the way I am because of you. But in the TV show, I mean, in the movie, it's like he jumps out, attacks Camille. Camille shoots him, throws him into the exploding radish at the end. Yeah. So he, yeah. he got nerfed. <laughs> yeah, because that, that, that was a good exchange because, you know, that, that's – and it, that was kind of a, you know, a slight because Jared was chasing him the whole show and wanted to defeat him yeah. and, you know, to finally find out his, why he wanted to do it and then to throw that stuff into Camille's face at, you know, you think I'm bad, you're just as bad as me. So And to some point he had a, he had a point to some, to some degree. It did well, he had, have a point. No, he had a point not to some degree, to every degree. Yeah, in, in, <laughs> in, in retrospect, yeah. <laughs> Every degree. Yeah, I didn't like the removal of Kilimanjaro and Dakar because those are my favorite parts of the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same here. They also removed the Rosamia arc, which, while I don't really mind it being gone, a lot of people complain about that arc, but I think it was important in showing links the Titans will go to to accomplish their goals that they'll take somebody yeah. and just completely destroy their mind because by the end, yeah. you really feel sorry for Rosamia even when you know she's in the Psycho Mark II and Camille blasts her through the head to kill her because she is just so insane and mm-hmm. they've just totally destroyed her as a person. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and on top of that, you didn't, I mean, she was alive at the end of movie one and, and, now, and now she's dead? A ghost? What? <laughs> there is some precedent for that because Camille appeared as a ghost for Judo at the end of Double Zeta even though he was alive. But since they removed her significance from the story, there was no reason for her to appear at the end. So they really should have reanimated that part. Yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah. Very true. One thing I did like, based on, on her appearance and, and the editing they did do for movie three, yeah. uh, Haman sort of plays a more prominent role. That's true. Which in the end comes to nothing since she just retreats and runs away yeah Yeah. because the other thing is aside from the way that you know they had the ending with camille surviving you get the impression that the Ayug is militarily in a much better position at the end of the movies than at the end of the tv show at the end of the tv show you get the impression that they've pretty much lost everything except the argama uh the argama has no pilots left most of its mobile suits are broken or and they're in a really, really, really tough bind. They're up the creek without a paddle. But, yep. you know, in, in the movies, they make it seem like the AU came out as the clear winner, whereas in the TV show, it was pretty much a pirate victory. Yep. That they just barely came out on top, but they lost the pilots yeah. and most of their fleet. When I first heard of the, conf- the, um, the concept of doing the movies, I thought they were going to naturally lead into, say, maybe something like Z- Double Zeta Gundam, a new translation, but... Sadly, when movie three came out, that was not the case, and because um, they just wanted to make a finite ending and remove Haman's uh, significance, who I think is one of the, the one of the best female anime characters ever invented, Haman Khan. She um at at that time she kind of just broke the norm for you know, female heavies, and I thought that was really cool. I mean, she was like um 
what Kasuya Kasuya was to me was like a proto Haman, and then Haman showed up and just perfected yeah. that too. Yeah, because Haman was the but also a very skilled pilot. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it in Zeta, uh, Camille and and Char, they couldn't even touch her. Oh, she made she made Char look like a fool. Yeah. Oh. I mean, no, she did. Yeah, she did. She, yeah, she she did. She made Char look like a complete fool. It took it took a very special man to to put her on edge. But then again, though, too, she is the only she was the only other person besides. Lala to make him not to to lose his composure on put the fear because when, God in when him well <laughs> it's not even that he he would lose his composure yeah. fighting her because he gets so pissed because of her nonsense and my last thought is finding of Camille not getting brain fried it doesn't bother me because at the beginning when the movie trilogy was announced Tamino said up front that he was changing the ending right. yeah. to give Camille a happy ending so by the time I finally saw it I knew since the beginning it was going to happen so it's not like it was some massive surprise you know that's that's fine but I thought that maybe it would actually segue into something I didn't think it would kill the continuity of Double Zeta altogether though as a, as a result and well, that one doesn't like, do it as much as as much as um, Axis just leaving yeah I think I, I think you could to an extent do like a new translation for Z- Double Zeta mm-hmm. um, if if you had him just coming back not being brain fried but the whole fact of axis is just like oh well you know those two guys see you later yeah those two guys left let's just get out of earth space and go to jupiter of all places <laughs> let's go on a cruise yeah let's let's go to like one of the harshest space environments there yeah, is so i don't mind you know awesome as, as a zeta fan it's nice to see you know to come back one more time to the story with you know the new animation the new music you know all this new stuff it's just nice to see as, as a fan service for the 20th anniversary of of the uh series but i will always prefer the tv show and when i've gotten people to watch zeta you know they say oh can i watch those movies i no i totally dissuade anybody from watching (laughs) the the movies it's not a substitute because at least with mobile suit gundam the movies it was still pretty much the exact same story with just a few changes in the order of events and yeah. you know the biggest change was uh, Makuve getting a j- get a jail free card yeah. but otherwise it was pretty much the exact same story and it, you can work either one and you know I prefer the movie version anyway but with Zeta really can't it's just a nice thing for the fans to come back to once you've seen the TV show you know just to see something a little different but that's my thoughts on the uh, on the trilogy Neo any um any last words no, not really. Uh, well, just, um, you know, if you haven't seen it or you hadn't seen it in a while, go back and take a look. And, um, you know, just always remember, I guess, the importance that it uh, that this show put uh, in the in the terms of uh, real robot genre and, and the anime genre in general. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you'll, you'll read a lot of stuff about how this is like the pinnacle. Um, it was like kind of the pinnacle show for a lot of these current directors and writers that you have doing these new shows now so and you and you can see it in a lot of these these other shows so i imagine we'll have fun next time with double zeta oh man i can't wait so listeners um jump on board your favorite anime website and pick up um the movie trilogy for mobile suit gundam and uh, the recently released uh reprintings of zeta gundam in box sets and um have yourself a, a good couple of weeks of um awesomeness but um anyway that's the end of our mobile suit double Z- mobile suit gundam mo- <sighs> mobile suit zeta, mobile gundam. Suit zeta gundam segment and join us next time when we go into um the next series in the in the line which would be mobile suit gundam double zeta and um this is gundam at mahq we'll be right back Gun- Damn, honey! Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast!
Look at that! This is Soul Bro Review, and when you have a free moment, check out these cool websites. MAHQ.net. And that stands for the Mecca and Anime Headquarters. They have information and reviews on a variety of animes, as well as specs on Mecca from your favorite series. Check out the forums and see what the regulars are saying about Mobile Suit Gundam Double Zero. AEUG.blogspot.com. And that website is Ganada. And that's your number one news site for all things Gundam. But watch out for those spoilers on Gundam Double Zero, though. www.myspace.com slash FTS Shinjuku. And that's for the podcast that started it all. Flip the script. Anime, video games, movies, TV, and music are a few of the subjects that are tossed about in a roundtable discussion by six very different individuals. Boy Wonder, Dr. Encyclopedia Black, Lee Majors, and Shoji Romero, as well as the host of Gundam, Neo Lorinoke, and Sobro Ryu. GundamOfficial.com That's Gundam O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L dot com And that's for the official website of Gundam, of course. It's um, managed by the guru of Gundam himself, Mark Simmons. For those who had missed out on Simmons' mega fan site and extensive wiki of mobile suits in the late 90s, labeled the Gundam Project, now's your chance to see the second coming of it at GundamOfficial.com www.myspace.com slash Gundam the show that's G-U-N-D-A-M-N the show and last but not least is the website for the unofficial podcast for all things Gundam and Mecha Gundam check us out on MySpace and if you're a member add us as a friend and give us your opinions on the Mecha series you enjoy peep these cool websites when you get a minute now back to homies suck dammit you're listening to the show that rolls deeper than the Mad Angler Squadron. That's right, Gundam at MAHQ. <laughs> Thought you were going to say more rolls than Ryan's. <laughs> or Royce. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway, welcome back. And on this segment, we're going to be discussing, finally, after all this time, the new season of Code Geass, starting with episodes one through four. And it looks like the show hit the ground running, because also left us kind of disoriented, because when we remember how things left off, it was it was quite different from what how things are now. The show starts off, uh, what is it, a year and a half after the, is it a year after the? Year. Of the, um, of the first season. We now find ourselves in 2019, ATB. 2018. 2018, sorry, 2018 AT, um, ATB. And um, that brings us into the first uh, first turn, our first episode of the new season of Code Geass R2, The Day the Devil Awakens. Some of the things that happened in it. Uh, one year has passed since the Black Rebellion of the Black Knights. Since then, a new ruler, the new ruler of Area 11, Kararis, has instituted even more oppressive practices against the Levens. Lelouch, having no memories of his time as Zero, cuts class and evades his teacher, Valletta. Oh, that's right, Valletta, y'all. Um, he then um, he then hints the Babel Tower with his brother Rolo to gamble at chess. Lelouch has run into Callan at the Babel Tower, and a mobster named the Black King wants to buy her wants to buy her for his bunny hunt because she's dressed as a um, a Playboy bunny, if y'all don't know, um, and looking good too. Lelouch challenges him to a game of chess. Lelouch beats the Black King. 
but the king falsely accuses Lelouch of cheating and has his men grab him. <laughs> Elsewhere, the members of the Black Knights are held in, held in prison, and some believe that Zero betrayed and abandoned them. The remaining members of the Black Knights, under the command of Cece, use a blimp to initiate an assault on the Babel Tower. Elsewhere, Carraris meets uh, the, with the Chinese ambassador, Gaohai, and his bodyguard, Li... How do you pronounce his name? Lee Zinke? Zinke? I don't know. Zinke? Well, we'll just we'll we'll just slaughter his name for the time. Lee. He's just Lee. <laughs> During the fighting, Lelouch is separated from Rolo and encounters Cece, who is using his custom using his custom barai. Cece tells Lelouch that um, she knows who he really is, but is shot by a Britannian Baron. Lelouch wonders if he will die, and Cece kisses him, which restores his full memories of Zero. Using the Gears. Lelouch orders the Baron and the soldiers to kill themselves. Who saw that coming? <laughs> yes, your highness! <laughs> and again, these guys, they always, I don't know, is it these guys always pointing their guns to their necks? Yeah, I don't understand that because he just says, kill yourself, but he doesn't say. And they always are so happy when they do it. They're like, yes, yes, your highness! Boom! <laughs> yes. As they're sitting there gargling on their own blood. Well, he can't... is part of the royal family, so I mean, they're. I know, I don't mean the, the yes, your highness. It's just, why do they always so happily point their guns to their necks and shoot themselves? No, what I'm saying is he's part of the royal family so you know they, they the the way it is in britannia everybody wants to uh you know go up and they want to make the royal family happy so i guess that's why they're smiling as they're killing themselves as so they, as they i guess so as they're dying <laughs> as they're dying the roughest way possible yeah <laughs> shot in the neck mm. jeez that is terrible but last but not least in the britannian homeland Emperor Charles, that's right, my man, Ch- uh, my, my friend Chuck. No, he's not your man, he's Rivals. He's not my man. He's not my man, Rivals. I'm sorry. You've already got your man that's for this right. series. My man, Rivals. We'll be talking about him later in depth. Yeah, right. <laughs> Emperor Charles meets with the several night with several knights of the round, including Suzaku, everybody's favorite flip, everybody's favorite um turncoat. Benedict Arnold. <laughs> Pretty much. Benedict Suzaku. Uh, uh, along with Gino Weinberg and Anya Earlstream. Yep, on, on your Earl stream. Um, Suzaku vows that he will be the one to take down Zero. Mm. Mm. And um, given how how um, how fast-paced and intriguing this first episode of the season was, what are you guys' thoughts on it? I'll be honest with you. I had to watch it twice to kind of, like, gauge everything because at first I was, like, I thought it was <laughs> – I was watching, like, the first three episodes of uh, of the first season just because of some of the stuff, especially when the, um, you know, you meet up with the Baron and all that. But, um, you know, the guy that's basically, you find out later, has been tailing, uh, been in charge of tailing uh, Lelouch. But um, yeah, it was a good episode. Um, it was a kind of a great way to start. I, I think what made me want to have to watch it again, too, is because, once again, they go away from the old um, anime staple of let's just kind of continue from season one. Mm-hmm. And we have a big time skip, which I mean, other shows have done, but it's just like, whoop, here we go. Lelouch is in school, and he's acting not the same. And uh, y- you kind of notice that, and slowly, as everything kind of progresses, you see that okay, you know, this has happened, that has happened, and um, and he's even more tall and way fresher than before. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, I, I'm glad that they did do that where they gave everybody, it looks like everybody did kind of age a little bit. Or grow out in some cases. Yeah, or grow out, grow, grow up. So, some people grew up, some people grew out. So, <laughs> yeah, because, uh, yeah, that, that's definitely the big selling point for all the for all the fan service pervs out there. You definitely want to check out uh, Callan uh, dressed as the bunny chick. Ooh. Man, 
Man, Just what, me with the pervs. What month is she? The girls of Area 11. <laughs> <laughs> the girls of Area 11 edition of Playboy. I'll but, take uh, the calendar. Okay, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just joking. Thoughts for cosplay. About the actual show. <laughs> <laughs> but a good app. A good app. A good way to start the season. With As a lot more questions than you had at the beginning. <laughs> As for you, Chris, what were your thoughts? Well, you know, it, it's obvious with this with this um, episode that and of times in season one that it's written in a way that it's for people who've already seen season one, but obviously they're trying to draw in yeah. new people who may not have seen the show before. So it's kind of striking that balance. I thought it was kind of interesting that mm-hmm. in some ways it parallels the first episode of season one, you know, with. Uh, Lelouch getting caught up in a terrorist attack and, you know, his power's unlocked and he gets these guys to kill themselves and all that. But yeah. um, And even the, the, the episode titles are, are kind of similar. So I think that was uh, very deliberate. And overall, I thought it was, a, it was a good introduction. You know, a lot of people thought that there'd be a direct continuation, but instead there's, there's a time skip. And, uh, you know, people were complaining about, you know, how things were playing out and, you know, why it didn't continue directly. Uh, but obviously that gets addressed in future episodes. So I thought it was a good way to, yeah. you know, catch up and get the story again and thankfully not do like a, a recap. I think it's good, though, though too, that um, I think um, in a lot of the ways that they're doing the storytelling now in, in, in this show and other shows that sometimes using the, the attitude of more is less. Sometimes of, you know, we know that the rebellion failed we don't need to know like each little thing that happened in between that time. It's okay. The rebellion failed, but we'll see throughout the show, probably through different characters, what happened and you know, how it failed for them and what happened to them as, as we go on instead of just like, you know, here we go. uh, You know, the rebellion failed. People were killed, you know, and all this other stuff that they do. So speaking of which episode two had a whole lot of that. (laughs) Did yeah. you did you want to did you want to go in episode sure. two? I'll, I'll go to it. Um, it's actually a turn to the plan for uh, Japan's uh, independence and kind of picks up from the end of episode one um, in the Babel Tower, this big large tower that's like in the city of, in the center of the um, the Britannian city. Uh, there's a battle going on during this time. Uh, Callan is as uh, she's fighting. She's thinking about the confrontation with Suzaku about a year or so ago at the end of season one. We get to see what happened. And the big question of, you know, that was pointed at in episode one of, you know, how they get to this point. We see that um, once again, Lelouch, as smart as he is and as a great thinker is, is on on the physical aspect, physically matched with Suzaku. He's 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 so much his inferior. It's ridiculous. Uh, it's, it's, but it's it's I think anybody would compare to this ridiculous spiral kick that Suzaku does it's been like yeah turned into like a thousand <laughs> photoshop things yeah it's it, it was very it was very fighting game reminiscent of uh I was like it was like a freaking it was a freaking hurricane kick yeah pretty much <laughs> either that or was it it, it kind of reminded me of um he fights like Kyokusanagi, but that's a whole different <laughs> conversation right there. Freaking R E D kick out of nowhere. It's like, what the heck, man? Yeah, I just dragon punch forward and kick yeah, forward. it it, w- it was a it was a little it was a little over the top, but we see that you know he does this crazy spinning kick, just uh, gets the bomb off of uh, Lelouch, and uh, and then Lelouch is uh, re- then we have a little thing of Lelouch during this time in the Babel Tower recalling what happened. And uh, we get to see that uh, Suzaku, wow, what a punk this dude is. Some friend, oh, no. 
some friend uh, drags him all the way back to the Britannian um, Empire's uh, capital and actually puts him in front of um, uh, the emperor. And then we get to see um, the big speculation that everybody was thinking pretty much from the beginning of season one is, does the emperor have the Gius? And we find out that he does. And uh, we find out that his powers to give you false memories. Yeah. And uh, he basically has uh, Luch. Um, he gives them false memories about anything dealing with uh, his sister, Nunnally, and Zero, or anything dealing with uh, the rebellion. So that was kind of interesting. And uh, then we see that Carreras is the, uh, the, the new mil military governor. Um, just like most of these hot-blooded uh, guys in Britannia, they want to prove a point. So he he goes to the front line in that same little the same little thing that Clovis was in, so you know he was doomed. Uh, but um, some ways, he, some ways he gets it worse than Clovis. Yeah. Ooh. So and as we see that Lelouch has got his uh, memories back, he starts giving the uh, Black Knights, um, um, you know, some orders to destroy the Sutherlands that are coming on and everything like that. Well, at the meantime, he meets up with uh, Callan. And she pulls a gun on him, and she basically asks him if he used the Gius. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said yes, and he said, was it to build, build, bend her will at any point? And he's like, you know, especially when it came to fighting for him. And he said, no, that's she's fighting on her own. So he never... Well, actually, he, he never he never tells her that he did use Gius on her. He never admitted that. Yeah, that's true. He just She, she just asked him if, if he used it on her to bend her to his will, and he's like, no, you're fighting on your own. But he neglected to mention that he did indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. Gears her. So he he kept he kept that little <laughs> secret. Which is funny because he discovered he he can only gears. Um, he only can gear someone once, once. Thanks to using thanks thanks to doing her because of her. Yeah. That because of true. her. Yeah. I remember that now. So. We got that. Then we, then we have um, we have Charles. Uh, he takes Suzaku to that kind of floating temple area that we saw in in season one. I think we only saw him there with V two, and I think that we, you know, the, the few times that we saw Charles in see oh, season the, one, we kind of saw him in the this little elevator. Yeah, that yeah. thing, and it's called the the Sword of Akashra. And he he's telling Suzaku that this is a it's actually a weapon to overthrow the gods. So. We have new mystery there. We don't know who that is. So back to the fighting in uh, Babel Tower. We got the Britannian reinforcements arrive, and the um, the Black Knights uh, encounter a new type of mobile or two new type of nightmare called the uh, Vincent, which uh, basically starts. It's much more powerful than what they have. Um, the Vincent all of a sudden reaches uh, Lelouch, and we see that it disappears when. Um, Callan and Aribe uh, attack it, and uh, Aribe, uh, one of the guys that I don't remember. He him. was in season one. Was he, he in one season of, he was one? On the Holy Swords. He's he's one of the four Holy Swords. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. I didn't notice him before until the season started. And okay. when, when my I don't think he had much dialogue before now. No, he didn't. Okay. When my brother, I, we were, we were watching the season one over again the other day. There he was, all throughout season one. It's like wow. He, he looked familiar. I just couldn't remember at that point where he was. So, um, just like a true samurai, he sacrifices himself to, uh, you know to destroy the Vincent, but we find out that uh, it, it didn't work. And um, at the same point, then we have uh, another kind of uh, homage to season one. Uh, Lelouch, um, det uh, he um, detonates some explosives uh, that starts to do a chain reaction throughout uh, the Tower of Babel, allowing him and Callan to escape. And it's funny, the... <laughs> The tower actually starts at the way that they have it. It collapses right on top of Carreras, <laughs> and um, you know he 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 
didn't have much screen time as a military governor. I thought he was going to kind of be yeah, one of these thorn in the sides for a little bit, but he only lasted there. about an episode and three quarters. I thought he'd been the season heavy, and he was certainly wasn't around for more than two episodes. No, not at all. <laughs> so um, with that, it was actually kind of cool that you know they basically escaped down the um, down the fallen tower, and uh, once again, uh, Lelouch uh, initiates a, a transmission as Zero and um, says that I'm back. And uh, he w wants to reestablish the United States of Japan. And uh, at that time, uh, we're, we go over to the Chinese consulate and we see that a Vincent appears. Um, and this is where the Brack, ironically, where the Tower of Babel collapsed down to, they were able to get to the uh, Chinese consulate. Nice. And uh, in that, we find out the, the Vincent that uh, Aribe had fought and Callan had fought. We see the pilot, and it ends up being um, Rolo, who we found out earlier in season or in episode one was Lelouch's brother and uh he's telling he's met there by Lee and he's saying that he's going to come to kill Zero and uh that's end of season or end of uh, episode two credits so any thoughts on that one guys well um it was it was it was it was great to get a most episode that mostly had action in it was, although episode one of the season was also action-packed too but to see Zero just jump right back into fine form and as we discussed earlier when we first saw the episode um off 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 the off the record we um neo and i were talking and it was so awesome to see that the backstory of what happened to lelouch and suzaku was like pounded out within two minutes if not less than that yeah i mean it just got right to the point i mean i'm sure there's some details they left out on purpose but for the most part you know, you got to see how the exchange went with the with the gunshots. Well, there's not much you can. I mean, there's, really there's not, not much, much there's you not can much show. I mean, I mean, he he took him to the emperor, made wiped his memory of his yeah. mother and his sister, and the fact that he was a descendant of the throne, and threw him back into school. It just makes me wonder because they also say that everybody else at the school had their memories affected too. It makes me wonder um the the span of the emperor's gius, like if he can gius a whole crowd to, to to mess with their memories, just like Lelouch can mess with a whole group of people if he's looking directly at him as long as he's not too far away. Yeah. Um, it just makes me wonder if, if the, he went out of his way to go to that school just to do that or if someone else did it. Who knows? Well, if you recall, uh, they they tell Lelouch, um, well, Suzaku, when he returns, that uh, that after uh, the school got attacked, that everybody went back to the homeland and only they came back. So yeah. they were probably, they were back in, yeah. you know, oh, I remember the retained that. homeland, a.k.a. America, and then, you know, got uh, you know, scooped up to pay a little visit to uh, yep. Old Emperor. Oh, man. Yeah, because in a later episode that we won't be covering today, there's something where they ask about where Nina is, uh, and she true. never, she never came back. She's still in the Britannian homeland. But, but you got to see, you got to see her in episode two for about a second when, um, yeah. when Lulu, I'm mean, sorry, Zero was on the mic. Yeah, and um, you should see she's crazier, and she's crazier than ever. Well, she's she just looks like she's still disturbed over the whole fact that Zero's back, but um maybe she went to relieve her frustrations on a table. Maybe so, maybe so. <laughs> she she got the, she got the old People magazine with Yuffie on the cover. That's kind of creepy. That yeah, is, that's terrible. She probably still has it too. But uh, <laughs> anyway, but episode two I thought was awesome. It just kept up the momentum that episode one had. But Chris, what were your thoughts? I I gotta say uh, when they showed that scene with um, Suzaku dragging Lelouch 
in front of uh, Charles. I hated him so much for that. It's like, oh. you are such a Ooh. bastard that you would sell out your best friend. Oh, yes. My hair stood on end. You know, in, in this in this idiotic pursuit of power to change the, you know, the empire from within, and you're doing a deal with the devil, basically, because Charles yeah. is this guy who's made it very clear that he's Mr., you know, social Darwinist, survival of the fittest. Exactly. And how are you going to compete against a guy like this who has so much power with your misguided ideas, and the only one who could have helped you lelouch you sell him out like a dog exactly yeah and so i mean it i really hated suzaku for that and have ever since then for for being such a bastard the one same here because mm -hmm. i saw that and i'm just like and i know part of it is because uh he's he was still kind of distraught with the old euphemia doing everything yeah but here's a guy that uh, this is the once again the whole misguided idealism of suzaku is he was complaining to lelouch that he's bending people's wills with the geas but yet he sits there and allows the emperor to do that to Lelouch. Yeah, and, and, and it's because of the emperor that he's in this situation in the first place. And I actually think, this is my theory, I actually think to an extent the reason why Suzaku is so adamant about this is in a way I think he's jealous of Lelouch. He's what? jealous of Lelouch because of what, what Lelouch could have. Because once again, if you remember, Lelouch denounced his, his throne. Yeah, but, he but could have been in the true. royal family. I almost think to a point that, you know, here's Suzaku, a guy that, you know, has no country. He has nothing. I mean, he turned. Who yeah, killed his, his own, own father. father? He turned it back on his yeah. on his on his uh, on his father, on his his, his country. Here, you know, Luch has his sister. He could have been in the royal family. You know, if mm -hmm. things were different, Luch could have been a governor of an area. But you know, the thing is, is that his father would have never respected him, given the fact that his father said, "You were dead. You've it, always been dead. You've been dead from birth." But and you got to remember, yeah. he didn't do that until Luch challenged him. That's that's, that's true, the reason. Because, I mean, it's all speculation, but that's yeah. just my thing. I think if Lelouch didn't challenge him, he would have been he would have been fine. But that's that's a whole different thing. But, but I thought it I thought that was uh, one of the, the the best parts of it, and it was nice to see that the speculation of uh, of Charles having the Gius like that was like the biggest thing of the season one. Everybody was thinking that he had some, especially once V2 started showing up. Yeah. Well, you're like, he had to have the Gius. So that, it, that was it. And here's, here's the thing about Suzaku. I mean, with his misguided idealism, even if he eventually does one day get the power to help Japan and do what he wants to do, everything he's done up to that point has been helping the bad people further their goals and oppress his own people. So getting that power yeah. means nothing yeah. because he's helped the villains exactly. further their goals, whereas Lelouch mm -hmm. yep. is trying to get to his goals yeah. by fighting exactly. the bad people. So I don't understand why Suzaku thinks he's the one who's in the right when he's he's the worst villain of them all, in essence. Unless Suzaku, is, he's, he's the easiest way to equate him is if you go to like like something that happened in our history, World War Two, he's like the uh, what is it, the Vichy French, the Vichy French when the when the Nazis when they took over uh, France, they created a puppet state, uh -huh. and they had basically French people that probably had kind of the same idealism too that you know right. if, if we do this then you know we're separate but we're not separate we're still mm -hmm. part of them. He's he's the same thing. I mean, if if uh, if the rebellion happened, um, you know, Suzaku and they, he was captured by the Japanese, he would end up being shot as a collaborator. Yeah. And he should be because he's, he's, he turned out to be the most disgusting of all people.
by doing what he did. I mean, what's to say? I mean, unless his ultimate There's goal. There's no justification of no, what he did. No, unless his ultimate goal is to kill the emperor and then assume the throne, then maybe some of this will actually be worthwhile for Suzaku doing that. But honestly, I don't think that's going to be the outcome. Uh, he just I wants to kind of ease in there and change it by some kind of goodwill. And I don't think that's going to happen the way the emperor's mindset is. And plus, he has a gears that can that can f with your mind. Come on now, <laughs> it just doesn't but, make sense. But last to me. thing on on episode two, I do think it was interesting though that as much of a um, as much of a social Darwinist Darwinist that the um, you know that the emperor is, it was interesting that he um, he didn't kill Lelouch. And I think mainly because I think in a way he was impressed by Lelouch. I think in some ways Lelouch. Luch turned out to be just like his father, yeah. and in a lot of ways, he probably has the most balls of anybody in the royal family by doing what he did. I mean, there's impossible odds of you know what he was trying to achieve. So, if if if, if no one has ever stood up against him or hasn't stood up against him in a long time, he's probably not going to let this opportunity go to let his son get another shot just to see exactly what he'll do. But it, it was it was a good episode, though. Well, there are lots of theories that uh, you know that Charles is setting his children against each other to see who will fight and be the toughest and survive and therefore become the successor yeah so you know it could be that he's orchestrated everything you know to see if lelouch will be the one who will you know survive the test and become his successor so that 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 would that make a sense. lot of sense because i mean he's he's uh he's two up on everyone yep. so i mean <laughs> he's only got what like what uh, Schneisel, the other brother. Oh, that clown Odysseus. Yeah, clown Odysseus <laughs> and uh, um, Cornelia, and that's it, right? MIA, but yeah. still in the game. Somehow. And he won't, he won't kill Nunnally, so, I mean, there's only three left, though. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> <laughs> So, who wants to who wants to go on? Uh, well, Chris can definitely three. get episode three. All right, so uh, brings us to turn three, the Imprisoned Academy. And uh, we've got Lulush playing some more of his mind games because Rolo is sitting outside the uh, Chinese consulate during zero speech, but he gets a phone call from Lelouch, who's back at school with um, Valletta. And, you know, we find out that it was Lelouch doing the old switcheroo with uh, C2 being zero again, yep. which allowed Lelouch to, you know, get out. So uh, Rolo's starting to doubt, and he wonders if, you know, who that zero is that's on screen. Later, he goes back to school, and he meets with uh, Valletta in their secret underground chamber, which, uh, interestingly, is the place where Mao had held in season one. They've got their plan to uh, keep watching Lelouch and see if it draws out C2. And, of course, back at the consulate, we've got that thread with the Black Knights, and Lee tells Colin and C2 that uh, Gao Hai is going to be executed for his actions involving Zero, and soon after... He asked Galahai why he did what he did and, you know, if he received uh, permission from the mainland for allowing Zero to set up there. And uh, Galahai basically is, you know, I don't care about uh, the Empress and uh, right. Zero is what makes me happy. So Lee takes the opportunity to kill Galahai very nicely with his, like, little, like, spear grappling thing. We cut over to Europe, and we see the EU is fighting against Britannia, and they seem to be holding up pretty well, but then Suzaku shows up with the Lancelot and basically uh, kicks all their asses. Moving back to Japan, as part of a plan to get Zero to reveal himself, Guilford comes on TV and he threatens to execute all of the captured Black Knights unless Zero comes out and fights him in a one-on-one -on -one duel. 
So he has himself, all his forces are stationed outside of uh, the Chinese consulate with the gallows and all of the Black Knights members who are captured, like Toto and Ogi and Tamaki and all these people. And um, back at school, you've got Lelouch, who uh, asks Shirley to come with him on a shopping trip to get a birthday present for Valletta, which she, of course, interprets as, you know, is this like a date for us (laughs) since she's still got the the hots for him. Yes, sir. And uh, they're being followed by Rolo and... And your man Rivals, as well as Valletta's surveillance team. So while they're at the mall, Lelouch, he uh, phones in a bomb threat. And during that whole uh, ruckus, he escapes from Rolo's surveillance. You got back at the console, there's an explosion, and Lee is attacking the Black Knights. And eventually at the end, returns to the surveillance center at school, but there's nobody there except Lelouch, who's uh, pointing a gun to his head. Then next thing you know, Rolo disappears and then reappears behind Lelouch and is holding Lelouch at gunpoint with his own gun. So, yet another little cliffhanger. Thoughts on the episode? I was just saying, it was nice to, um, it's nice to see that when they go back to the whole thing of, um, um, you know, one episode, like episode two, that it was more like the zero type of arc type things. And then you go back and he's once again Lelouch, a kid, and, you know, he's got to deal with all all the stuff um, that he has to deal with with his friends and everything. <laughs> it was nice to see him and Shirley go out to the, the so-called date and do all that. But, you know, once again, he's always all business. And how he thinks all these things and these little, these plans, I mean, it, it will be interesting the point when they can say, like, what his genius level is because, man, the guy is smart as heck. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got to have an IQ that's bordering 200, if anything. I just, um, I, I love this episode for the fact that, you know, you find out more and more about Rolo in this episode. Yeah. Not, so, not, not, not the overload that you get the, the following episode, but um, you get a hint of what his ability may be. Um, as well as uh, the whole thing with, um, you get to see what Snigel's doing. You get a little a little cameo from him, because they referred to him earlier on um, yeah. when uh, the Emperor tells... Uh, he tells Suzaku that not even Suz- not even his own son, um, Snizel knows about uh, yeah, the, the temple, the, the thought elevator, or the Giuses or whatnot. I think Snizel knows about the Giuses somehow, but and uh, that has yet to be revealed. But the fact that his um his trusted son doesn't know anything about that, and the only people that do are Lelouch and, and Suzaku and the um of course the givers of the Gius. But uh, overall, a great episode. It's good to see Lelouch back in fine form. You know, pl- you know, undercover as Lelouch himself, and in a tight situation, he's able to, to think of ways out, like you know, with nobody's business he's he's the man of um working through a situation impromptu to you know the way he does and i it's, I, it's always a treat to see him do that it's also uh, nice even though it seemed kind of like if at first thought it mm-hmm. seemed kind of um not necessary but seeing suzaku attack the eu forces once again establishes that point that you know once again for all his idealism mm-hmm. this guy's still a killer for the bad guys he's well, still he, going out there and he's I, still killing people i don't think he killed anybody i don't think he killed anybody i, I think he um he, whatever he, 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 i mean it, that, that's because I, I looked for that i looked for that just to see if yeah, he was killing it, anybody and it, i don't think he did it doesn't matter I but mean, he's, he's still working he's, he's still wor- he's still doing yeah. what he's you know he's still doing what he has to do Dirty with them work. but um yeah it was also kind of interesting to see i guess uh, once they, once all those people were gone back the homeland, that they uh, set up that surveillance point in, uh, in you know, the surveillance uh, center in the Ashford Academy. So mm-hmm. they definitely, I guess there's, I guess for whatever reason, there's probably even Charles doesn't have that much faith in the lasting effects of his gear. So. Yeah. Um, he knows he's gonna find a way out, the, the, and if um, CC did get to him, then he would um, he would definitely regain his memories, which exactly exactly is what's played out. But Chris, uh, you know, it's nice to see uh, Lelouch masterfully uh, manipulate people again, but unfortunately, uh, yeah. there's a little kink in his plans because he wasn't expecting Rolo to have Gius yeah. and uh, pull that little 
little switcheroo on him at the end with the gun. Definitely. But it's great to keep see him uh, have people on their toes again, and now he's sort of playing this game of having people wonder, is he zero, isn't he zero, is this somebody else? Yeah. And and nobody knows. And he's walking that fine line because he knows Nunnally is off somewhere, and he doesn't know you know whether her life is being threatened or not. So yeah. he's kind of um, reined in, trying to keep this, this, this whole secret in check. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. So, but anything else? Uh, no. Nope. I guess guess that'll bring us to turn four. I'll, I guess I'll go through it real quick, and that's called the uh, the gallows of counterattack. And we get a little uh, blast to the past here. We get to see Rolo's past revealed to us. We find out that he's basically been an assassin hired and. Since he was small, we find out, and Luch finds out at the same point, that Rolo simply just freezes people's perception of time. He doesn't necessarily do time itself. So that was kind of an interesting thing there. And we see that Rolo's been using this throughout his life to accomplish a lot of his uh, assignments as an assassin. So Luch asks him if he has any future beyond uh, the mission that he has right, right, right now, which is observing Luch and finding C2. Then he's able to do in a masterful way, convincing Rolo not to kill him. We get back to the consulate and we get to see that uh, Lee tells uh, Callan and C2 that Gohei has been executed for his actions involving Zero. And this was mainly because Lee had confronted Gohei, who said he didn't care about the Empress. And so he was killed so that was kind of interesting there that um you know it seems that lee's got kind of the kind of more of a power more of like a de facto power in the in the consulate so it'll be kind of interesting to see where he fits in this whole thing uh lelouch does the old disguising as a britannia soldier again he must have about 50 of these uniforms in his closet <laughs> by now because <laughs> uh and then he uh he uses the geas again because uh you know since he got into contact with c2 he's able to use it but interestingly enough though he still i don't know if we talked about it he still can't hide it so he has to use a special contact to keep it from you know for everyday life so he's not geasing though everyone he does it on this glasgow night to set up a plan and this time this is when guilford's about to do the execution that he promised of uh, toto and all the other uh, black knights that are that are in custody and then uh suddenly you know lelouch and zero with his uh, hamming up he comes out on a, on a custom barai as zero and uh, Guilford doesn't want to speak to him face to face but wants to duel how how unfortunate for for Lelouch yes <laughs> that just would have made things so much you easier know. for him oh I know because <laughs> we just know how great he is in anything dealing with any uh, physicality especially what is it at the beginning of uh, just going back real quick beginning of, of uh, episode one we find out that Lelouch is in remedial uh, PE <laughs> I didn't even know they had such a thing <laughs> Wow. So that that makes it kind of funny, but then, it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, it is. It is kind of embarrassing. But um, Luch asks that they fight one on one with only weapons, so he's slight, and he selects a, a night police shield. And as Guilford charges forward, a Gius worker collapses the settlement support structure, kind of an ode to season one. There again, mm -hmm. they got to they got to do something about those support structures, and uh, <laughs> you know, bomb sniffing dogs or something. That's what I'm saying. But um. And uh, Luch uh, surfs down on safety on the shield, and uh, the rest of the Black Knights charge forward to save the, the captured guys. And then uh, Rollo, we see, chases after Luch, and uh, one of the other uh, Glaston Knights uh, fires at him. Ironically, the son of, um, what's his name? Darleton. Darleton's son, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, he's a sniper. But one of his ad adopted sons. Really? I didn't realize he had um. He mentions in one of the uh, picture dramas that he has a bunch of adopted sons because wow. yeah. the Glaston Knights, they're all his adopted sons, and they're all named Darleton, but they're not his 
actual sons. Yeah, so they're probably just some orphans that they took care of. But um, they they escaped down the hole that was made in the support structure, so all the black knights are rescued. They make it back to the Chinese consulate, and then uh, we get a little peer into... um, We were back at the Ashford Academy in one of the classes, and guess who came back to... um, Oh... Uh, to to be uh, to go to school Homecoming. so and that's the end of this episode <laughs> any any thoughts at first i was a little uh say annoyed but uh, just a, a little bothered that lelouch used the same old collapsing floor yeah same here attack again but maybe he did it because right. yeah of the fact that they never expected he would do it again so he he certainly got the upper hand on darlton um as far as masterful manipulations the way he geased that glass and knight to shoot at the Vincent, but then Lelouch took the shot, yeah. and he's basically he just rolled over completely in his pocket by saying, you know, oh, even if the the memories were fake, the time <laughs> we spent together wasn't a lie, and you're my brother, and you know, Rolo's just like uh, brother, ooh. family. He just got in hook, hook line, line, and sinker. sinker. <laughs> Perhaps maybe a little bit too well, as we'll see in later episodes. Exactly. Oh yes, so. definitely. But I mean. But on t- on top of that, Rolo doesn't trust him fully though, so I got to give him some credit. But a little bit, he got he got roped in a little bit too much, probably a little bit more than Lelouch expected. But well, once again, you, you, it's it's you know it's uh, Rolo, or uh, Lelouch is able to uh, see somebody's weakness and yeah. uh, able to you Exploit know manipulate it. it to what he wants it to do. And yeah, like you said in, in later episodes, it definitely is uh, maybe a little bit too much. But um, <laughs> You know, it, it once again though, it, it gets down to that whole thing of, and this is where I even like Rolo better than uh, Suzaku because here Rolo is, he's had this, you know, he, he's been used by Britannia to do out all these missions, but now he's starting to, you know, um, down himself just by the simple fact of, you know, what are you going to do after this mission once you get me or in C two and. And, you know, it's, you know, killing me is not going to do anything. And, you know, you actually like being around me. So as we spent time, it was a good thing. So yeah, because he's basically he's basically a nobody. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and he's just, you know, he's just going to go off and, you know, he completes this mission and he'll just go to the next thing and do whatever he needs to do. But, um, yeah, I was I was also a little annoyed with the whole collapsing um you know, structure thing, but once I mean, again, I, I think it I think it works because maybe it was just oversight, and and I also get kind of a sense in this season that because of what happened in the rebellion, um, even though there's a perception that Britannia has a harder, you know, a tighter grip on what's going on in Area Eleven, they kind of don't. Like it seems like like because of what happened and things got destroyed, there's all these you know unsupervised areas that people can get into and 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 we find out with the thing with the the fight with the eu that britannia has got a whole bunch of forces fighting them so they're getting spread thin so there is going to be there's going to be lapses in security probably if you look at it it's it's uh, japan is one of the um area 11 is one of the um the furthest territories that they have control of from the main base so i mean geographically i mean they have that advantage of 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 a, a small concentration of forces there, but given all the sacrodite, sacrodite there, you figure they'd have a much stronger presence in um, Area Eleven. I guess. Um, well, there, I it, guess things would probably because and it probably the rebellion was a lot more successful than um, you know a lot more successful in the aspect of of screwing of of um, you know hurting their forces there. It yeah, wasn't true. successful in what it did, but you know they probably caused a lot of casualties. We saw in that last battle they lost a lot of. Uh, materials and men so 
Very true. Yeah. The the thing is, you know, when you when you rule by the fist the way Britannia is, you have to always have that fist out. Very yeah. true. So, you know, they've got to – I mean, we don't know if there's any, you know, rebellious sentiment, you know, on the homeland of Britannia, which includes North and South America. So you've got to cover those two continents. Yeah. You've got at least 18 areas – to cover some of which were shown yep. last season in addition to Japan to being in open rebellion mm-hmm. and then you've got you know the European Union uh, fighting against Britannia and then you've got the Chinese Federation who made their move last season and are now making another move so you basically have uh, Britannia fighting against the entire world so yeah. they can't really focus all of their attention on just Japan even if Japan is an important you know, site of where all this hotbed of rebellion is occurring, they still have every other front. I mean, their front is, it's not a two-front war, it's like... Five-front war, probably. It's like the entire world is the front. Yeah. So, you know, they have to divide their resources. And they and they talk just, about that they've been fighting the, the EU for so long, yeah. so, I mean, that, that probably is their, that's probably where the majority of their forces are. Well, given the illusion, I mean, that all the the the, the ninety three percent of the world's um, fuel for for nightmares come from there, I figured it'd be kind of equating to like the, you know, say the situation over in the Middle East where you know most of the world's oil comes from there. Yeah, look how well things are going there. So. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. which, which is which is a which is a very good comparison given uh, given the same situation. There's insurgents that you know are are definitely you know working against um Britannia's grip in Japan, and eventually they're gonna they're gonna wrench it free. At least I hope so. Also, if you take into account that Zero hasn't been back for that long, they may have not had enough time to really get their forces there to really um to really get a rein on things. So there's also that as well to factor. But as but for- but, uh, but ex- excellent excellent episode. I just yeah. like the whole, um, I mean, the whole mind games thing is just becoming ridiculous. And, um, you know, it's nice to see. Uh, it, it, it's it's very interesting now that we, what, in the first season we had, when it came to people with the Gius, we had Lelouch and Mao. And now we've been introduced to two other people. So it makes me start to wonder how much, how many more of these people are going to be starting to show up. And, um, you know, so it's, it's definitely, uh, it was definitely a great, these four episodes were definitely a great beginning of the season two and I, I like the direction that they're going because uh, a little bit at a time um, when it comes to these stories it, it, it definitely um, it's definitely keeping the pace up and as we'll discuss in the other episodes we, we see that it gets ramped up a lot and I go on record saying I hate Suzaku <laughs> he's the worst character I like I like Charles better than him Charles? so do I hey, Chris, Emperor hey, Charles Chris any um any 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 last thoughts uh no last thoughts all right then well that brings our um our month of gears to a close join us in join us in a month when we review episodes uh, five through eight and we'll be back with the next segment on gundam at mahq Striking out on finding your favorite manga, anime, or series merchandise nearby or online? Lost when it comes to finding pop music from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian markets? Well then, Florida Oriental Trading is here to help. If you live in the Central Florida area, head on over to the intersection of Colonial Drive and Mills Avenue near downtown Orlando. You'll find FOT right next to the CVS Pharmacy. For those who live abroad, find out more about our favorite store online at FloridaOrientalTrading.com or call them directly at area code 407-895-0650. 
FOT carries a large selection of merchandise such as art books, t-shirts, posters, wall scrolls, soundtracks, PVC figurines, models, and much, much more. Also, it's a great place to find imports of your favorite musical artists and the latest films from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian countries. Last but not least, Florida Oriental Trading is not only home to the best selection of anime on DVD in Central Florida, but there you'll find a wide variety of manga too. On top of that, all of their manga is always priced at 20% less than retail, daily. 20%. That's right, Frank. 20%. Florida Oriental Trading is open every day except Wednesdays from 10 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You even find them open most holidays. So if you're local, stop on by and visit Quan and Debbie or give them a call at area code 407-895-0650 and give them the business. Tell them Gundam and MAHQ sent you. Just gotta keep on trucking, yes sir! I'm gonna go outside and make myself a nice, big, shiny, first place medal, sit in the sun, and have a stupendous friggin' day, damn it! Well, alright, you're messy. Would you make me a medal too? Welcome back to the show that has more cross-dressers than the crew of the Argama, Gundam at MAHQ. <laughs> by cross-dressers, I don't mean me, by the way. Nice. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> uh, just, I try not to. Just in I my free time. <laughs> just in my free time. Just, just I just go as a schoolgirl. All right. Everybody loves schoolgirls. Apparently. TMA. So as we... <laughs> As we've been doing for a few episodes, we're continuing our series Gundam Roundup, going in production order every single Gundam show. So, of course, this time the spotlight is on Gundam Double Zeta, hey. sequel to Zeta Gundam. Yay. So, um, you know, as we've done so far with the series, we're not going to really be getting into plot details because we assume you've already seen it, and if not, well, go see it. So we're just going to be going into our thoughts and opinions, and I'll just kick the football over to you guys. Uh, who wants to start? Any... Uh, general thoughts on uh, Double Zeta? Um, yeah, I, I bought it a couple years ago, uh, and I found a pretty good deal online for the uh, for the Japanese, or for the import, and I had always heard about, you know, I always heard about this show, and, and mostly dubiously because of um, some <laughs> of the things that happened, especially in, like, the first, I'd say, what is it, about 12 to 15 episodes as where the end of Zeta, we all know how Zeta is, how powerful it was, and how kind of depressing it was, especially at the beginning. Um, I guess uh, Tamino tried to invoke a little humor in Double Zeta, and uh, we basically pick up from the ending of Zeta, and everything that we have going on is just at like kind of like a slapstick kind of take where you know, we, we the first episode, it's like a children's show where they're giving you like, can you say Zaku? Zaku! you know <laughs> and all this other stuff God, can you say Gundam Gundam and then we start off in the second episode where we're, they're basically it's the argument and it's right after the, the battle of grips and kind of the little hilarious things there we get to see like chickens go on top of Bright's head oh. and <laughs> not the chicken. the chicken. Chickens, and we get introduced to like this crazy chickens oh, and the pigs. Yeah, and you know, then they and I, if I can remember correctly, I think they had some merchandise from Bandai in some of those boxes. <laughs> I actually think if I think if you look at the boxes, they say Bandai on the side. Some of them, of them do. They do. Yeah, so probably some gunpla and um, you know some 
some support other the war efforts, some other things. But um, it, you get introduced to like this over-the-top character Mashima, this like Zeon guy that is in love with a rose that was given to him by Haman Khan, and uh, it's just like every time he does something, it's all over the top. He's just that kind of, you know, the the, the defeated goofy villain that you have in like Hanna Barbera cartoons and stuff. <laughs> I mean he's like kinda like Dirk Dasterly for a little Dirk. bit. But uh um definitely uh it, it it takes some it takes some time to get going and uh, once it does get going it, it, it starts to take a good turn. It goes in a pretty different direction when it comes to uh you know, I like I like that they kinda have the kids kinda take over there for a while and um, you know and and you know they they do what they need to do uh a bright and those guys kind of take a back seat in the end for all its good points it has a lot of bad points especially mm -hmm. like the ending spoiler alert for people Haman khan gets killed and i just oh. don't really like the way for such an interesting character say it ain't so she has to just kind of crash herself into a uh into a, a meteor so that that oh. didn't seem very oh. seem very befitting to somebody like that so um like but cuts. other than that, I thought it was a pretty pretty good show. Uh, not the best show, but definitely not as horrible as people make it out to be. Seriously. So. Yeah, I mean, the the, the show takes a, a, a dramatic turn, like in the teens, like the late teens yeah, of the episodes, like that. and if it gets kind of more on the Zeta Gundam vibe, but doesn't get nearly not doesn't get as dark as Zeta Gundam, but it gets respectively compelling again. You know, it, it brings it back to the kind of the compelling feel that Zeta Gundam had. It still has a bit of whimsy to it, and I didn't think that was a bad thing. Um, it was nice to have. No, a, it a got good, less slapstick that yeah, was like far less slapstick and then you know some of the some of the characters that were you know you know silly at first became you know far more respectable although there's the anomaly of shara soon or who i like to call sharo oh, the coochie coochie lady <laughs> every time she saw judo she'd have to put his head between her boobs hey which, man the, i mean it's not a bad thing but that Ju hair she judo had to do something it. with that hair judo didn't fight it <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was it was 1986. What are you supposed to do? Yeah, hey, <laughs> I don't know what was worse, Char, uh, Shara's hair or those glasses that uh, Haman wore when she was sunbathing. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I I did like the thing. I did like the aspect that um they just kind of passed the uh, Gundams and the mobile suits around like hot potatoes. Oh, they did. Like uh, you say know, the Gundam got passed around like a joint, man. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, of course, when you get the double Zeta, it's got that whole super robot thing. It's, you know, three pieces in the one. And yeah. yeah. It had pretty cool music. It had the cool transformation music. Oh, I like that. When you, you started hearing those drums, you knew it was uh, transformation time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so it, it was kind of interesting. But, but Chris, any thoughts? Oh, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, were, we were saving you for last. So. I, I guess with the first episode, uh, you got that the first episode is a clip show, which I could sort of understand given that you know it follows immediately after zeta but it's a pretty crappy clip show oh it's yeah. terrible it, it, it doesn't really explain anything in detail about the original series or about zeta no. so if you have never seen gundam before zeta at the time it doesn't really help you in any way at all oh yeah Not really i kind of refer to it as an episode zero i mean you can even skip it yeah i, I quite honestly I've i have only have watched it for review purposes and never again yeah um exactly. yeah, I, I watched it once i've watched the show like three times but i watched it once because it it's like yeah just immediately to fast forward <laughs> yeah uh you've got obviously the slapstick which i don't mind you know whimsy in a mecha show because 
you know, as we were discussing before the show, Dragonar has it in spades, but it works just fine in yes. Dragonar because it's also not done to the same extremity. Yeah. But even Tamino, uh, he he does whimsy with uh, with L game, yeah. and and it works fine there. The thing is, those are fine because those are their own franchises. But you've got Double Zeta as you know the third part of a trilogy, almost following after Gundam and Zeta. And especially as the direct sequel to Zeta, which set a certain tone, you kind of expect it to keep that tone. It's like if you're watching, uh, you know, right. the original Star Wars, and then you got Empire Strikes Back, and then suddenly Return of the Jedi it turned into like a slapstick musical. <laughs> 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 You're right, though. I mean, yeah. for some people, for some people, it, it, it kind of went the same road anyway with Ewoks, but that's neither here nor there. Oh. So yeah. you know, can of worms. The, the the tone doesn't really match for that first half, and it's it's a really sudden shift. Number two, the pacing slows down so horribly for the first oh. half of the show. I mean, it takes them eight episodes to get the hell out of that freaking junkyard in Shangri-La, and it's like you look at the first eight episodes of Zeta, yeah. and so much had happened by that point. Yazan and Muttley. Yeah, they did turn one of the most cold-hearted killers of Zeta into a chump. Yeah, they totally gimped Yazan and basically just made him a, a, a Hanna-Barbera cartoon villain. Yeah, with his with his buddy Muttley, that, yeah, exactly. that big guy. <laughs> yeah. His only, his only saving credit is he killed Sagusa, like the, the first real episode of the show. Yeah. But then after that, he just became insane, but not in a good way, and he's just, like, stealing pigs and piloting junk mobile suits built by garbage men. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Daggone shame. Um, <laughs> then you've got Shimo, who really is the most uncompelling antagonist. Yeah. Uh, I have to mention Moon Moon, which is just one of the dumbest things I've ever freaking seen. <laughs> Oh, you didn't you didn't like you didn't like the lost colony of Moon Moon? Oh, please. <laughs> which was which held for many years the honor of being the lowest rated review on MHQ with a half star for both of those episodes uh, until um, wow until the Nadesco movie review came along and, and shot that out of the park and ignited a whole new firestorm. Ooh. But that also is neither here nor there. Yeah. <laughs> so finally, when it, the series starts to take a turn for me, when uh, when they go to Axis. And then there's the whole st- all the stuff that's on the moon, mm-hmm. and then finally when uh, they they do the Earth arc, and for me that whole time, you know, from from the Earth descent battle to the time they go back up to space, I put that whole part up to par with Zeta. Right. Y- yeah, I'd have to say, uh, don't mean to interrupt, but I, the one episode that just I thought was really well done, directed, drawn, and everything like that is when they had the colony drop. And they're yeah. fighting, and mm-hmm. as and as the colony as it had hit hit the Earth, Dublin, right? And yeah, yeah, hit Dublin. And as they're fighting, and I thought this was so nice that they did this. They still showed all the ash and everything yeah. throughout oh the God. episode. That was one of the few times that because even in a lot of these new shows, they forget those details. Yeah, you you forget. You don't see that. They yeah. do it by, by CG, CG and be lazy. Or once they advance to another, you know, they'll show it real quick, and then they're fighting, and then they'll show nothing there. But that that was one of the, and that I think that was the one that Hayato got killed in, wasn't it? Um, it was it was around there. Yeah, that was that was when he got killed by uh, by. That's, when, that's when Camille gets mind raped. That's when um, God, what else? Um, and that's when he fight. That's when Judo fights um one of the Pooters. Was it Pooter one, the original? I th- two. think so. I think so. I think he had met Pooter up. too. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, no, it, it was in Dublin that he fought yeah. Pooter two using the psycho. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. It was Pooter two then. 
yeah. when he fought when he fought her. But um, it was nice. It, and yeah, that, that that was a great battle. That's one of my. That's probably my favorite battle from that. Show. Yeah, that 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 just that that episode just stood out in the whole in the whole thing. And I, I do agree with you that that those part that the part that you just talked about was, is it is on par with Zeta. I mean, you're on you're on like the edge of your seat. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's no wasted time, no wasted story, no wasted battle really. Yeah. Another so. another 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 little um arc during that I guess the whole Earth arc that was I I found really impressive was the the desert arc where they were in the desert and Judo was rocking the Zeta like you know it's like f the f the f the double Zeta man I'm rocking this on Earth man this thing transforms but um the girl that was working for the Neo Zeon the the ch- the chick in the village I forget her name but she lived she was Arabian or she had she was um a local from around there and she was kind of a double agent you remember that and she her her, her, her Maasai yeah Maasai yeah. and I guess her love her her her, her boyfriend her, yeah yeah her boyfriend or something was a was a pilot for Zeon yeah and I guess she was taking up arms against uh the Federation because she still had a score to settle from from way back then yeah she won revenge yeah it's it's kind of tragic you know in that in that yeah. Zeta tragic the Zeta Gundam tra- style exactly yeah. and. Another thing I enjoyed was uh, when when they got back to Dakar again, and they had that whole battle between uh, the Aug and the Neo Zeon. I thought that was very nicely done, and you had a great moment there, the way that they the way that they killed Lena. Yeah. With that exploding mobile suit falling under that hut and ex- and 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 just everything catching fire and exploding. Yeah. I thought that was a great moment just to have a totally gimp with the late revelation that she was actually alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And was being taken care of by Sailor Mass. Of all people. Of all, yeah. Who appeared out of nowhere. It's like, oh, come on. Why did you go and ruin that for? So, you know, the series was great up until that whole point. And then they go back up into space. They do the freaking moon moon. Yeah. They go to this ridiculous tiger bomb colony and they're cross-dressing and, and like the ruler of the colony is this like dirty pedophile pimp guy oh yeah yeah <laughs> then they go to this core three colony and waste more time there and it's like oh why'd you why'd you have to go and, and get all goofy again and then suddenly in the like last four episodes like hey glemmy's having a rebellion oh it's zeon fighting zeon oh no it's bad oh the end the, the, the original <laughs> low rent char Oh, you talking about um, yes. Glemmy? <laughs> Glemmy. Yeah, he, I mean, because as we yeah. know, Tamina was planning for Shar to show up in Double Zeta, and he was going mm-hmm. to mount the rebellion against Haman. And the the story was vastly different. I, I've seen one of the outlines, and um, you know, originally the the show had Emma surviving. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zeta, she's gonna like die like halfway through double zeta and like judo had a thing for her because he apparently had a thing for older women in this version and you had a lot of different things going on and you had like um like char doing this rebellion and killing haman and uh then like judo is fighting him and then amuro shows up and you had all of this stuff going on god how that would have worked though i mean that that would have been that would have been epic just to see to see char have to kill haman it would have been great because after all the things that she did to him but um, yeah. then, of course, Tamino got the approval to do charged counterattacks, so he, of course, had to hastily rewrite everything. And then suddenly, Glemmy went from being uh, dumb grunt A, who was love struck for Lou Luca, to mastermind rebellion guy with tons of Puru clones who everyone follows for a mysterious reason. Yeah. Which I don't mind if they had him, you know, as rebellion guy, but they should have had it that way from the beginning of the series and not had him be a yeah. clown grunt pilot and developed yeah. his I mean they were developing his rebellion like him secretly plotting against Haman and she knows he's up to something but then the actual rebellion didn't happen until the very end of the show happened as soon as they got back to space and none of this moon moon redux crap <laughs> it would have also helped if 
the show had an extra three episodes so it could run 50 like Zeta did and not 47, which is a pretty odd number. So yeah, I think the the show turned around a lot in its middle half, but then towards the end, the last like seven episodes, it kind of falls apart again. And when you get to the ending, uh, it's pretty much just uh, sort of a, a rehash of, of Zeta. Yeah. You know, you got all of these people dying, mostly on the villain side. And then at the end, right. you know, Judo's fighting him on. It's a tough battle. And then, like, the spirits of all these dead people, some of which he's never <laughs> even met, come and, you know. <laughs> yeah, I about that. <laughs> he, he beats up, he beats up Haman, and then she unceremoniously uh, offs herself. Which, as kind of lame as that is, I kind of prefer because if if a punk like Judo, who really wasn't that great of a pilot in my opinion, could kill her Dang. when even Camille and Char couldn't touch her. That's true. It just would have been too much. Well, the fact that he even beat her the way he did, I think is too much given that better pilots couldn't even scratch her. Yeah. You think they, Judo was that bad, though? I think he was just an okay pilot. I mean, he's he was nothing... He was nothing that special. Yeah, as a pilot, he's okay. Well, he was as a new type. Yeah, he was. Yeah, as a new type, he was very strong. Yeah, but I mean, he wasn't put to task like Camille was. I mean, Camille was in some pretty terrible situations. Even Amaro was in some pretty bad situations, and they made it through. And Judo. Then again, the the whole Neo Zeon, the first Neo Zeon war, wasn't nearly as epic as say those other two wars were. And it was kind of a and you got to remember their whole thing. (laughs) Their whole thing too on this one is they survived because of the Gundam team. Yeah, when they had, yeah, it was it was more emphasis on the team. Yeah. Like even judo, he fought within the team. He never yeah. really, he wasn't like these other guys that would just like jump. You know, no, I'm going to take care of myself. You know, but I I I felt that I was I felt the same way with Chris as as great as a character as Saman Khan was, and man, she held her own against Char. I mean, that, that, Char. that battle at the end of Zeta, I mean, when she's taking, she's taking all comers. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she was taking on Char and Camille and Soroka, and she just kept them all at bay. Yeah, and, you know, and and they're in and they're in their own prototype, massively powered-up suits, and, you know, they were all great pilots, and, you know, Judo, Judo was just an okay pilot. I mean, he was, you know, he's a good character, but he was just, he as a pilot, I mean, I I don't think he's he's probably not top five I, in I, the Gundam I, universe. I like the fact that he was street smart. I like the fact yeah, that he I had did ex- like that. I like the fact that he had experienced piloting mechs way before he even stepped into the Zeta Gundam. So I mean, that was a really good explanation. I'm glad he. I'm absolutely not that it helped him much at no. first because he couldn't even find the it damn the closed, closed hatch, hatch button, button. Yeah. <laughs> which for like five episodes was an issue. Like, oh no, the hatch is open. <laughs> and it, and, and it's I com- forgot about that. Exactly. And as complicated as the Zeta supposedly be, everybody got used to using it. Like it was, there was nothing to pilot. So <laughs> until it got disgraced, it you know. At the end, oh. with its unceremonious. Yeah, demise. and that, that did break my heart. But then we got the regs. Plus, got- plus the earlier disgrace, Zaku. Oh, oh, I forgot. I want I, that model, by the way. I, <laughs> I think I tried to, I think I tried to block die. that out of my head. <laughs> just, just go in a corner and die. Yeah, I, I did like the fact of Judo not being kind of the whiny emo yeah, pilot from the beginning. I mean, I he like got it, and and then his pain was understandable. I mean, he saw his sister supposedly get killed. So mm-hmm. okay, I'm, but then that all got negated by her being alive so that kind of yeah that was, that was cancels out his reason for fighting on because yeah what, what, what's awesome what's what's awkward is that they're all thinking she's dead and you figure yeah so they think he's kind of they think he's loony when he's saying that yeah. he thinks she's alive and they're like okay judo sure thing yeah he's like no no she is and she is but they don't know that but when yeah. it happened as powerful a new type as judo is you figure he would be on the sense when his when his sister died the exact moment that it happened like you know in a lot of you know previous series and whatnot as opposed to just standing there and just you know not even 
not even inspecting it to see if there's a body behind so you can bury it or anything like that. They just, you know, up and leave. And it turns out she was probably not in that thing the entire time. I don't know. It's like, so, you know, given all of the writing changes that happened in this series anyway. It just didn't it, make sense. I wonder if, you know, at the time that episode aired, yeah. she really was supposed to be dead. And then later. Yeah, they mm-hmm. recanted it. They, uh, they recanted it because it took a good 10 episodes yeah. uh, between her yeah. dying, supposedly, and then showing up in the care of Sayla. Seems like a Band-Aid. They could have pulled an, uh, an Andy Waltfeld there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Man, you had to bring up the Desert Tiger. <laughs> DT, awesome. I did like the I did like the Gundam team though. I liked yeah. all the I like Beach. Uh, all I the characters were like L. Oh, the thing about Judo uh, and his skills as a pilot. Uh, the other thing that Judo had in his favor, well, the, not really in far as being a good pilot was if you look, a lot of the people that he fought on the Neo Zeon side were a bunch of chumps and idiots. They were just a bunch yeah. of yeah, they had- you know green newbies i mean you had a few veterans there like like uh like rock on dakaran and all these people but you know you compare it to uh yep. the titans which had a lot of experienced pilots and camille became a better pilot because he had to fight good people mm-hmm. when you are fighting people yeah. with a really strong mobile suit like the double zayden of all of its you know weapons like that head cannon and the double beam rifle and all those spammy things and then you're fighting really weak opponents, it doesn't make you a better pilot. Yep. And even even the enemy aces, like, say, at the beginning, uh, Mashima, he sucked until he came back later, later as a cyber new type. Yeah. yeah. And then he was kicking ass until he exploded himself, literally. Su- <laughs> he exploded his cosmos. He went Super <laughs> Saiyan too finished. much. He went Super Saiyan 5. Super Saiyan 5, he pulled the Vegeta. You can't do that. <laughs> like Saint Seiya. Literally. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's the thing about Judo. He, he fought a lot of crappy opponents. It's not until, like, when he got to Earth and he was fighting all those down and dirty yep. um, desert rebels and old Zeon standbys who were still hiding out in the desert that he fought some really experienced guys who, if you notice there, those guys put up some pretty damn good fights with uh, oh yeah. yeah crappy zakus and things up against the latest technology. Technology. That's yeah. why. That's why I love that 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 small that the short story because it's just it's a bit of the old school thrown in and you know these new school characters are thrown into the situation and it the push to the brink. Yeah, is that, is that old? Uh, is that old thing of you know you're getting away with having the biggest and the best equipment, but you know if if you if you're lacking in training. Then I can, you know, I yeah. can go against you with, with substandard equipment and and give you problems and, and maybe defeat you. On top of that, I feel that the Neo Zeon of this of this series were were lacking the menace of the original Zeon and even the Titans. It just didn't seem as intimidating. They seemed kind of hippie compared to, you know, the previous the previous um antagonists of the other two series. Yeah. I liked them, but you know, they just seemed a little off the wall and just not nearly as threatening. Well, like I said, they had a lot of yeah. newbies. As, as as pilots, which was even acknowledged in Zeta yeah. Gundam, you know when 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 uh, Char was trying to kill Haman on on her ship, and you know she says like, oh, he knew that he took advantage of the fact that you know we have a bunch of inexperienced soldiers. Very true. Yeah. But then in Double Zeta, they were just like freaking idiots. <laughs> yeah, like re- like retarded. Like I just don't even know what the hell happened. That whole this. that whole thing at the beginning when. Those guys get killed. Remember when Mashima has the ceremony for those guys? That got yeah. With a chicken bone? Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Oh. But then, um, now I lost my train of thought again. Crap. crap. Sorry. Um, this show will do it to you. I guess so. Um, I was about to say what I, something. I was actually going to say something that I do like that the show does, and now I completely forget. Oh. Um, I do like how we get to see Haman as a schemer again and how she basically, uh, you know, is threatening the Federation with a colony drop. And in exchange for side three, but it also shows sort of the the yeah. 
degeneration and the depravity of the Federation because, you know, they literally are a bunch of fat cats and uh, they don't really give a crap about the people of Earth. And they're like, hey, you know, if she drops a colony, it's uh, some population control for us. So uh, go ahead. Yeah. It really sort of makes the case for what Char is fighting against later on in Char's counterattack because it just goes to show that the Earth Federation, even with the Titans gone, they still don't give a crap about anybody but themselves and their own power. Yeah, that's true. That's how much how corrupt they are yeah exactly so that that series really highlights it more than anything else speaking of Shar, his absence along with Amuro kind of makes it feel kind of separate from every all the other series because you know they weren't really directly involved well at he's all. not absent isn't he in one of the beginnings he's oh yeah where he's like <laughs> screaming <laughs> screaming silently and then there's um there's during the, the evolution from like oh. apes to, uh, yeah. to Amuro to Camille to Judo yeah. <laughs> That his little cameo is a ghost in the freaking elevator when when Haman sees him for a second, like a visage. Oh, yeah. That's the only time you see his his. I was about to curse him in the show. Well, <laughs> he also narrated the mobile suits quiz in the first episode. Yeah. Awesome with uh, with Shinta and with Shinta and Kum. That's all Ikeda could do. <laughs> Terrible, man. Speaking of absences, um, you know, it was good to see Camille again, and and to see him later on when he appears in Dublin, recover and sort of uh, discover uh-huh. new powers. Maybe as a result of what Sirocco did to him, but uh, it would have would have been good to see him have uh, a slightly larger role. I mean, they tried, you know, they brought him to to the ship, and you know, they tried to get him in into the uh, and fly around. But it's like, oh, if it would have been nice to just to have even just a, a a thirty second scene of like he walks up to the Zeta gun and sort of like maybe has a flashback and recalls everything that happened to him. Yeah. But yeah. alas. How about that Fa though, man? She became badass in this series. No. Fa? Fa? Oh, come on. She wasn't useless like she was in Zeta. Oh, come on. Yeah. She. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying she was holding her own in Double Zeta. You got to admit that. To at least a little bit. Are you are, are you kidding me? Oh, she was she was she got beaten up by the trash man. <laughs> and Judo had to take over. How is that holding your own? Yeah, she did well, get she did get. Dude, in the last in the last episode of Zeta, she's like three or four guys, and then suddenly, yeah. uh, she gets beaten up by a trash man. How is she holding her own, dude? What are you, what are you even smoking? Outside of the suit, she was all right. She was like, she was she was running and gunning. And oh no! Not, now you're changed. Now I'm you're, sorry. Now you're, I, now I, take, I take that uh. back. I, I retract <laughs> my statement. But I mean, she was she had a, she had a lot more confidence, and she didn't seem like. The damsel in distress, like she seemed in Zeta. She seemed like, um, <laughs> since she was taking care of Camille. Well, suddenly because she suddenly because she sort of became the senpai because yeah, it's too. like everybody was dead. <laughs> so she suddenly is one of the oldest people on the ship. Yeah. Very true. Everyone's dead. Her her boyfriend's brain fried, and <laughs> Bright's got a chicken on his head. And yet those two annoying kids are still hanging around. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Poor fall. How did that happen? <laughs> Stuck with those three. Or at least they left. Yeah, so. I know. I'm glad they got rid of them. That was because uh, I. As you're watching that show, you're, you're thinking that they're just going to kind of stay there forever. And it's like, oh, but yeah, I'd, I'd have to say, uh, I mean, uh, it was a good show. I, I definitely think people should watch it. Um, it's about- not the horrendous pile of garbage that people make it out to be. I don't think it's unbearable. I mean, I, I've seen worse. I've seen worse shows. <laughs> my, my last thing is, what do you guys think of Bright in the show? Ah, uh, poor Bright. Yeah. <laughs> For getting embarrassed like with with the chickens, but um, you sort of see throughout this show that you you kind of get the impression that he's just really tired. Yeah, um, that's what I was good. After yeah, everything that happened in Zeta, because he, you know, 
you know, he he eventually he just gives up on judo. He doesn't try to to like correct him and give him bright slaps. <laughs> Yeah, he just gives up on this kid because he's already gone through this whole crap with Amaro, and then he went through it all again with Camille and and Katz, and it's like he, this guy's tired of being like the the mobile suit daddy to a bunch of like little whiny bitches. Looks yeah. like he went home to be a daddy. He just wanted to go home. <laughs> so he just he just he just gave up to the point where he's like, yeah, you guys want to steal that new Argama? Go ahead. I I, I don't <laughs> care. Go do whatever you want to wow. do. I'm tired. I'm going home. It kind of makes me wish that they did a new translation for Double Zeta with a completely different story, but brought back the characters and kind of made it like. Um, How can they do that? Zion went to Jupiter. They could. They could have rewrote that ending so they could have lead led into that. I was hoping that they would do that. Yeah, Zion. Zion uh, uh, decided to run away, and Camille didn't get brain yeah. right. So. But I mean, I mean, they could have. They could have kept it real and then transitioned to a new translation for Double Zeta and had a chance to retell that story the right way. And make that you know. Kind I have a, of I have a feeling though. Story. I got a feeling Sunrise just tries to forget about that series. <laughs> they, they, that I think sucks. I think it's because it's just uh, because of all the revisions. Yeah. And everything, and I mean uh, the way that Chris pointed that out with some of these, why something would happen here, and then ten episodes later it was different. Yeah. I thinking back now, I, I that does kind of make sense because you got to remember we're watching it. You know what? Straight Twenty shot. years later, and. Yeah. We aren't watching it when they were doing it. And, yeah. you know, how many times have you seen shows that you enjoy where they, they sit there and they do something, and then, you know, 10 episodes later, it's like, whoa, that person was going to die. No, I'm back. You know, it's kind of <laughs> like the, you know, it's kind of like the soap opera thing, or, you know, where, oh, he's got a twin but with an eye patch. Oh, that joke they make at the end of the Desco? Where oh, um, yeah. that dude get which is which is Joe gets killed off like early on in Gekaganger yeah. and then shows up for no yeah. reason in the final episode of the show. It's like what the f- <laughs> yeah the reason why he the reason why he never watched the last episode because exactly. he knew it was gonna suck. But he had such a great death in that cockpit and he's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Miss Nanako, I won't be able to go to the beach with you. And then the fat guy's mm. like, Joe, will Gekaganger be able to carry on survive the loss of Joe? Anyway, check out next episode. Episode. Anyway, uh, back to Double Zeta. But uh, um, awesome. the only other thing I'd have to say is I like it when uh, Judo beat up uh, Wong Lee. Thank y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that. Finally, Wong Lee walked in and he met. He he had to deal with a street kid, not yep. some emo kid that was mad because he didn't win the Homo Alvis Championship. Oh, or, judo could throw some dukes. Yeah. <laughs> he thought he could do the. He thought he could beat him up like he did Camille. <laughs> judo was like, no sir. <laughs> didn't put up with that mess. At all. But. Yeah, but I, I would I would encourage all those out there to to watch it. Um, you know, like I said, there there's worse out there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first series that we're talking about that's not available in the United States out of um, so. for the Gundam for the Gundam Spotlight. So you have to this one you're gonna have to find well, in your X own. X isn't available either, and that's yeah. more more better. No, than what I'm one. just talking about in in it's oh, so far for the spotlights we've done for um, Gundam so far for the um for the roundup so. sadly but um if it ever comes out here I'll be the first to buy it so Bandai get on it even if it's just subtitled no no audio track we'll, well, we'll just, buy just, it well just 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 have this known that well I would hope some audio track I, I don't want subtitles and no audio oh oh sorry okay. uh, sorry Japanese audio track I take yeah. that back <laughs> I don't want silence and subtitles <laughs> <laughs> we just dub it ourselves <laughs> well 
Maybe it'll be. Maybe the silence would would be better for the first like twenty episodes, but oh. but overall, you know, for, for all the knocks I'm giving it, it, it is a pretty good series. I wish that yeah the beginning and the end had been as consistently good as the middle. If yeah. if the whole series had been like the middle, uh, it probably would be one of my favorite series. And yeah. that's a rarity. It, for it would rival. It probably rival Zeta. It would probably be just as good as Zeta. Yeah. Exactly. That, that's a rarity for most shows where the beginning and end are awesome, and the middle is the one that sucks. This is the complete opposite of that. Yeah. Which is odd but the cool it is very odd it is very odd and you know like i said there's nothing wrong with you know having a lighthearted show i mean it works perfectly in dragon game and even yeah. in gundam x and all these other types of shows but uh it just didn't follow after the tone that was set in the original series and zeta to suddenly be like oh hey all slapstick and then suddenly <laughs> back in and then next thing in charge counterattack it's back to the way it was before so yeah it just it just kind of doesn't fit properly and also as far as the characters go judo became more likable over time but uh a bunch of these other clowns they just yeah didn't really do much for me like you know they had that whole thing at the beginning for like 10 episodes of uh mondo and and, and bicha constantly betraying judo yeah. and joining with the neo zeon and then they just come back and it's okay it's like it's like episode of seinfeld where george quits <laughs> and it comes back the next day like nothing happened yeah it's like what the hell it's like you guys betrayed us and you, you were with the neo zeon and then you just slip on back in and it's like what's up dude what's up it is i don't understand what the whole point of that and then they even they try Tried to get judo killed yeah when he went after axe it's like he's your, what are you he's your friend I, I just <laughs> and then you know they became more likable later on but for that first half it's like what is with these clowns so the characters could have used some more traits to have them stand out yeah and differentiate them be a little bit less annoying uh for a lot of the show uh lou she was just really annoying especially when she uh when she ran off yeah in in the desert so if they differentiated the characters more and made them a bit more appealing and then just had the whole show be like the middle, it probably would have been one of the best Gundam shows, but yeah. alas. Could have been, should have been. Still still, still a pretty good show, but yeah. you know, it doesn't live up to its potential that it did, that it did have. Well, so. all I can say is um, I, I, I pretty much agree with you. I think, I, think, I, I think it was a fun romp, but for the most part, um, I still think everybody should see it. I just think that... They could have done so much more, and I wish they did a remix of it where it was the show. It could have been become the show that it, it, it had the chance to become. It, yeah, well, well. <laughs> they learned the lessons from that. <laughs> At least I hope so. <laughs> well, they did give us destiny. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. But, yeah, I just, on my closing thought, I'd be the same way. Just, you know, go out and see it. I know, you know, uh, it it is... A mass, it can be a massive letdown from Zeta, but for the most part, it, it is a pretty, it is a pretty good show, and it, it and it is entertaining, especially that middle part. So, any way that you're able to view it, definitely uh, check it out. All right, well, that uh, wraps up another installment of uh, Gundam Roundup, and uh, of course, in the next episode, we'll be back with uh, Shars Counterattack, and uh, we'll be back in a moment with a wrap up of um, Gundam at MHQ. <laughs> I'll be damned if I'm gonna clean up this mess! <laughs> Shars Counterattack is also responsible for one of the coolest scenes ever. Bright coming out of the bottom, up through the bridge, from the sub bridge to the to the main bridge. That was the coolest thing ever in that in that chair. Complete with Star Wars yeah. Cup. Gun. Damn. Next episode, who will survive?
Now with more class than Harvard, you're listening to Gundam at MAHQ. And we out. We'll see you all in the next two weeks. And thanks for listening. Later. Later. <laughs> this is a world where people's hearts are filled with hatred. Where fingers have no purpose other than to pull triggers. <laughs> what do you believe in? And why do you? At MHQ's Shinjuku Station, an MHQ production. You will see the tears of time. Hey, it's Sobro, you again, and just um, I'm finally getting into what happened with episode 14. Basically, I was. I was well, originally I was transferring some files over from one computer to the next, but when I do the heavy editing on for the episode and something went wrong and with the remainder of the files that we had did on the redo of 14, they were they were they actually I originally I thought they were lost. I thought I had deleted them. I found them on the other computer, but what happened was it kind of ghosted themselves. I don't know what happened. I do recall that the power might have gone out during that time and when they were going through the router is when I might have when things might have got botched, but I take full responsibility. First of all, I should have never cut it and pasted when I should have copied and pasted. That's elementary. I just, I was running out of hard drive space and I finally freed some up on the computer I do the main editing on. I thought I could take a shortcut to everything by cutting and pasting as opposed to copying and pasting, and that's kind of where the problem started. Um, of course, Chris and Neo both know and give them the heads up. And um, yet again, we'll probably have to do the Gundam 00 segment one last time. For that, I'm really sorry because that has been long overdue. So in honor of the dearly departed 14, I'm going to leave the number 14 completely open so that we can go back and do it and put it up at a later date. You'll probably get episode 16, which is currently already um, fully recorded. So we're working on editing that now and we'll have 16 up shortly. Um, I'm going to aim for the next two weeks because this episode took way too long after me fighting to try to recover 14 and kind of delayed things and should have just accepted the inevitable and put 15 out but um i'm really sorry about this um if for any input though feel free to send us um an email to um gundammahq at gmail.com you can also hit the boards at mechatalk.net of course um always check out the main site for gundam which is mahq.net and um last but not least please um cash your digital stones at me personally at uh, sbrmahq at gmail.com really sorry about this but don't worry we'll definitely get the double o segment in the can and also get um last but not least the uh the gun plus segments too on top of that we did a really cool um segment on iron man and that's my biggest regret that we lost that but uh, well, at least lost um i lost neo in our part um chris's part is still intact so maybe i can get some good drops out of that or just piece together something in regards to that because he had a lot of woody things to say during that segment and i actually still have that so we'll figure it out but in the meantime thank you for thank you so much for listening and putting up with me and we'll definitely come back to do this again next time in episode 16 of gundam at mahq